Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, 10K Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane, that's all I need to say about him right now. I, I change the, the name I say every time, but just Hurricane today. Gerard, how are you feeling? I'm still not mentally recovered from the last podcast we did, but the show does not stop in December. The transfer portal slows down for no one and slows down for no podcast, especially this podcast. So I hope you're ready to uh, carry the show once again. I'm feeling good, man. We got the portal season uh, the first wave of the transfers have hit the portal, and so we've been trying to keep up with that. We have the early signing period here, just over the horizon, December 21st. So it's a conflu- conflux, confluence. I don't know what the word is, but everything is, coming, everything is coming together. It is uh, transfers hitting the road for visits. We got coaches on the road for in-home visits. You got Guys that are going to campus and coaches that are leaving campus, they're saying hi and bye on the way out of campus, on the way into campus. It's crazy. It's nuts. It's December. It's what the NTA wants. It's all crazy, all hectic. I'm sure maybe it'll change down the road. But for right now, we're in it, Dry. We're in this recruiting hurricane, as we refer to it uh, many a times, this transfer hurricane. We're just going right into it. And with that, I mean, we just got to get right into this show. We have a lot of things to talk about. We have three transfer portal additions that we're going to talk about, uh, one that USC got this morning. So a bunch of transfer portal news, bunch of offers to kind of talk about. We have some official visitors going on from last week. We have some official visitors this week. It's the final week that you can take official visits for the high school class. And we have some more transfer targets that have come off the board. You had that giant just, uh, what's it called? Like you were out of your mind just talking for hours on end about every position in the portal. We have some guys that are now off the board. And we're going to go over those guys really quickly. We have some updated top 247 recruitments. Uh, I know one is going to make a lot of people mad in the rankings. Uh, Makai Lemon has his five-star. We're going to talk about that. Uh, some in-home visits, a uh, local cornerback still taking some visits in January. We have a new segment that Gerard just texted me about. It's like I'm uh, I'm adding this unsins- uh, unsubstantiated rumors segment. Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. Let's just throw that into the second half there. We have some listener questions. Gerard, I might ask you about a certain USC quarterback winning the Heisman. So there's lots of things to talk about on this podcast. So before we jump into it, though, just a very quick thank you. To the official sponsor of Composite Two Star Recruits, that would be the one and only Meredith Schlosser, the top real estate agent in Los Angeles, over $600 million in sales and more than 200 five-star Zillow reviews. Seriously, if you're thinking about selling your house, buying a house, even just looking to rent a house, call up Meredith Schlosser and her team 
it's the it's the only move you got to make it's to make everything so easy for you check out her website at www.meredithschlosser.com that is s c h l o s s e r and you can check out her business instagram at meredith real estate so thank you to her for being the official sponsor of the composite two star recruits gerard cold open time now usc has three new faces for this team out of the portal that would be ASU punter, Eddie Chaplitsky. I probably said that wrong, so I apologize. Uh, but he's part of the team now. Georgia State off outside linebacker, Jamil Mohamed. And then Arizona defensive lineman, Keon Bars, who committed this morning. Gerard, I think we got to go with the most recent one, being the Arizona defensive lineman, Bars. Coming at a big position in need, how would you uh, assess this pickup? You know, he took an official visit. This week, he was on campus Tuesday. Very quick turnaround. He had visits to LSU and Miami lined up, but those are canceled. So USC did enough. Local kid from the Marietta area. So keeping him, bringing him back home. So Gerard, let me know what you think about this one. Yeah, it's a good pickup. Interior defensive alignment, which we obviously know USC has to replace some players there, but then they also want to upgrade. So we talked about this last week. You know, there's the replacement aspect of the portal and the replacement aspect. This cycle is more on the offensive side of the ball because you've got good players. You've got a very productive offense. You've got an elite offense. So you just want to replace players. Uh, maybe there's certain positions where you'd like to upgrade, you know, certainly at the offensive line. But defensive line, you got to upgrade. So this is, I think, more of a replacement player potentially because there's been more production from bars than there was from, let's say, Brandon Peely, there's maybe some upgrade. Because that's really the two players that I see there's commonality in what USC had and what USC is getting in bars. Bars is a bit of a space eater. Um, he's a kind of a two-down lineman in terms of he does have the ability to pass rush on first and second down. But in a third long situation, you're probably going to take him off the field. So, you know, with Peely, we saw flashes with him. You know, he could be a very good player. He was very athletic for his size, but he wasn't a guy that was super consistent, mainly because of injuries. Bars has been more consistent. Uh, he's, a, he's a bit shorter. He's a bit more sawed off. And I think he's a better run stopper from that standpoint. Uh, but you watch him. He's very active. He got double teamed a lot on the defensive line this past season. So when you're looking at him in pass rush situations, whether it be first or second down, you're not necessarily going to see him do a whole lot. Uh, he didn't have any sacks in 2022. He only totaled 39 tackles, 4.5 for losses, but he was, you know, second team uh, all pack 10 in 2001. So, uh, you know, certainly last year, uh, was the year where, you know, he stood out a little more than this past year. But that's what put him on the radar. That's why he's getting double teamed in 2022. That's kind of how it works. And so, um, like I said, a guy that's very active in the middle, uh, he moves a lot. He's pretty quick, but he's not necessarily going to be an interior like, three technique that's going to get upfield and raise havoc like uh, Leonard Williams or somebody of that nature. Perhaps not the sexiest of pickups, especially when you have, you know, uh, Tunisi Adele floating out there. That would be the the cream of the crop pick for USC fans in the peristyle. But Bars is definitely a very good pickup for a defensive line that needs bodies. They're going to be losing a lot of people, as you mentioned. So this is a this is a really solid player, you know, a second-team all-pack-12 guy. 
a guy who can come in right away. I, I don't necessarily know he'll be a starter, but definitely a guy I could see heavily in the rotation, and I would not be shocked if he did at some point start, but a very good pickup. And Gerard, it just goes for another uh, data point for your for your your you're talking about uh, West Coast defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Uh, you know, a guy who was not highly recruited out of Marietta, but has transformed into a pretty sought after guy in the secondary market. Yeah, certainly sought after. I mean, you think about LSU and Miami going after him. Um, certainly, a lot of people thought pretty highly of him. The interesting thing here, we talked about Brandon Peely. The other guy that is absent now is Kobe Pepe. You know, he's now in the transfer portal. The only other player that's really a true 300-pounder that's on that roster for USC, I guess you could, you know, argue Jamar Sakona is sort of in that range. I think he's listed at like 290, but, I mean, he's in that range. But USC really on the defensive line lacks good, active 300-pound defensive tackles. And we know when you get to those elite levels, and you're talking about going to the, if you're looking at this versus Kobe Pepe, this is a big upgrade. If you're looking at this versus Brandon Peely, I think this is more replacement. You could argue against a run. Kenyon Bars is a more consistent, better player. Um, now, some people have talked about, well, you're also losing Tuli Tui Polotu. This is not a replacement for Tuli Tui Polotu. I don't know if you're going to be able to replace him, and I, I very highly doubt you're going to be able to upgrade from losing him. So they got to do it at other positions, uh, whether it be by, you know, bringing in several names or, you know, finding some guy that, you know, falls into the portal from the SEC that's, you know, a big-time player that we haven't seen in the portal yet. Because at this point, there's not a lot of wow sort of defensive tackles, three techniques that are those guys that are the three-down, three techniques that can play on first down, second down against the passer run. And then in a third and eight, third and 10, you can also put him in there. And he's going to be a guy that if you uh, you know put him one-on-one, he's going to beat the one-on-one. Or even if you double-team him, he has the athleticism and the ability to split a double-team. You know, Like I said, Barnes is a little more of a one-shade, sort of a space eater, uh, but he's quick enough that he can do some things. He can get some tackles for losses. And it will be interesting to see on the USC defensive line where you know maybe there's more talent across the board. He gets in more one-on-one situations and has a year more like he had in 2021. Let's keep the defensive side of the ball rolling with these transfer pickups and move on to Georgia State outside linebacker Jamil Muhammad, you know, a former guy out of the South, a former quarterback for out, out of Georgia, also played basketball and originally committed to Vanderbilt, enrolled but never made it on campus, actually ended up at Georgia State. And this was a guy who picked up some, you know, notable Power Five offers on the secondary market as a transfer. Excuse me, he had uh, Ole Miss, uh, Texas A&M, uh, some SEC schools, I believe Missouri, West Virginia, Indiana. All those those programs were coming after him. A ten plus uh, Power Five offers, including USC, and takes a official visit to USC over the weekend, and that ended up being enough for him. And he had that that photo with his dad. Holding up the number 13 jersey on Saturday night, you know, wishing Caleb Williams good luck for the Heisman ceremony. And it felt very much like a teammate of Caleb Williams uh, wishing him luck on that stage. So I remember I texted you and I want that on record that I texted you. And I feel like I texted, you know, I feel like Jamil Muhammad is, is about to commit in the next two days. And there he goes. He pops on a commitment. A outside linebacker USC has been. Beaten up a little bit with the linebacker core in terms of transfers. They've had three transfer out in Raylan Goforth, 
Taylor Katoa, and then Julian Simon, who was an inside linebacker that moved to the edge position, but rounding him up as a linebacker. So depth and you know experience were a needed asset for that group, and I think they're getting that with Jamil Muhammad and more athleticism. I know that you know uh, Simon was an athletic uh, guy, but Muhammad also very much so. You know, a former quarterback, as I mentioned. So I think the athleticism. Definitely gets a a bump up with the addition of Muhammad. Gerard, I, I need your thoughts on uh, Mr. JM here. Yeah, a, another confluent sort of recruitment where you had, you know, Lincoln Riley going to New York for the Heisman uh, Trophy ceremony. And you have, you know, kids on campus and a guy like Muhammad, who I think is definitely one of the better players. I think he will be a four-star transfer when he's actually rated. He was a three-star coming out of high school. And like you said, and high school played mostly quarterback. And I think you see that with him off the edge. One of the things that was notable to me, and in general when I'm watching edge rushers, is awareness. And it's a sort of underappreciated, undervalued attribute that a lot of edge guys have or don't have. There's a lot of emphasis put in athleticism. A guy like, you know, Jadavion Clowney, who's running a 4-4, he's running a 10-4 in track, he's 6'5", 265 pounds. Uh, and we talk about, you know, Nicholas Harbor, the five-star defensive end slash tight end um, hybrid receiver out of Washington, D.C. As a guy that's just, man, he's an uber athlete and you put him on that edge and you just say, hey, watch the ball and go make a play. But I think something that's often lost is the awareness of when you're engaging that blocker, when you're engaging that offensive tackle, knowing A, if it's pass or run and B, understanding where the run lane will be, or where the actual passing lane will be. And that's very important when you're talking about scrambling quarterbacks and trying to keep containment and trying to keep the edge when you have a scrambling quarterback. And I think the one thing that really stood out to me, well, there's there's a couple of things, but the first thing was that Muhammad has a lot of awareness. He does not engage the blocker and blindly sort of rush in to the offensive tackle without having some awareness as to where the runner might be whether he's a quarterback or he's an actual running back. So there's some skill there. And I think that being a quarterback, I think he's a guy that on the offensive side of the ball, you just have to be sort of aware of everything going on. And as a quarterback, there's a lot of different things. As a quarterback, I'm sure, first and foremost, he was a guy that was a dual threat quarterback. So he understands pocket. He understands getting outside the pocket. He understands what those how he can exploit them if they get too far upfield, if they maybe take a real, you know, a, a, a bull rush and they're putting their head in the center of the chest of the offensive tackle and blindly rushing and not really seeing where the, the run lanes are. I think he understands all that. The other thing that you see is athleticism. He has a bit of a burst. He is a guy that from the backside of the play can make a play. And so I, I saw actually quite a bit of potential with him as a linebacker and also enough athleticism and awareness as an edge rusher that I think he can step back and he can be a guy that you can play in coverage a little bit and get something from as well. So, you know, there's a little bit of Solomon Bird there where I think he's got some pass rushing skill, but I think he's an upgrade in this from the standpoint that I think he's a little more athletic and I think he's a lot more aware because he actually played on the opposite side of the ball in high school. So, you know, he compares more with Romello Height I guess in terms of uh, physically, you know, his size wise, he's, he's built a little more like a linebacker than a, than a big defensive end. Like, like Corey Foreman is, 
like a legit defensive end. He's 6'4", 6'5", 265 pounds, so a little different build. But in terms of, you know, the athleticism and where you can play him and how you can play him, he's sort of a cross between those two players. I think you've got the athleticism and the talent uh, that's uh, more in the, the the league of a Corey Foreman, maybe not quite that high because he's not that big and that fast, but still having a little bit of athleticism. But then with Romeo Height, a little more built like a linebacker and a guy that I think agile, aware, can play off the line of scrimmage, but more, more importantly, I think a guy that just understands run lanes, understands containment. Um, he plays within his assignment very well, and I think that's really a big deal. And that's an ad for USC, certainly, considering that he does have a, a decent amount of production behind him. Six foot two, 230 pounds. Now, Gerard, I know you watched uh, multiple games of uh, Georgia State to, to get a look at uh, Jamil Muhammad. So what was the kind of breakdown in terms of going like uh, playing kind of a rush end as opposed to, you know, off the ball middle linebacker kind of deal? Well, I mean, he's that's where he's playing right now. And I think that's certainly where USC is going to use him. I just think that athletically and because he has some awareness in space, even when he's you know, on the line of scrimmage and he's rushing the offensive tackle, he's got some awareness as to where he is and that relationship with the ball carrier. Um, I could compare him to a guy like Josiah Stewart, who is the 6'2", 235-pound outside linebacker rush in from Coastal Carolina, another guy that USC is trying to recruit and potentially bring in on an official visit. I think with Stewart, you're watching a guy that's a bit more brolic. He's a bull rusher. He's, he's very physical. But I saw several games where he got lost in his blocks. And that's what I'm talking about. Like when you look at Mohammed, he doesn't get lost in his blocks. He keeps some distance. He keeps himself uh, where he can make a move. And sometimes, you know, when you're a, an edge rusher and you're a containment guy, you know, you're not big enough to just take on the offensive tackle physically. You have to sort of negotiate that block and fool the offensive lineman into feeling like you're going one way and try to use the blocker to become an obstacle for the ball carrier. And, and that's what I've seen from Muhammad a bit. He really kind of knows sort of where that ball carrier wants to go. And sometimes it's not a matter of just being physical with the offensive tackle. It's a matter of sort of duping him into thinking, oh, I'm making one move and I'm not making another move and actually make a move for the ball carrier. So with him, I just thought that you, you, you saw a lot more awareness and a bit more a, a cerebral play, I guess, from him off of the edge. And again, a guy that played quarterback in high school. So you sort of, you know, you kind of know where that comes from. And he had six sacks in 2021. Uh, only, I think it was like a, a, a sack and a half uh, this past year, five tackles for losses, 44 tackles in general. Uh, but a guy that I think um, can do a lot more. I just athletically watching him. I watched him and I saw a little burst. I saw the athleticism. I said, okay, this is, this is a guy. This is a guy that can really help USC for sure. Definitely needed more athleticism in the middle of that defense this year, this past year. And Muhammad's definitely going to increase that, as as you mentioned. Now, shifting out of the defensive side of the ball, let's go to special teams. And, and I'll handle this one, Gerard, so you can kind of take a breath. You know, you've already handled it. You've already you've already handled it. The, you pulled the bandaid off. So now you just have to do it again. Yes. And you're referring to uh, Arizona State punter Eddie. Chaplisky, and we spent five minutes trying to confirm what the pronunciation of that last name is, and it's going to terrorize broadcast callers for the next uh, season in the Pac-12, once again in the Coliseum especially. 
uh, Chaplisky is what we came up with, and we think that's pretty close. But if it's not, we apologize uh, to the Chaplisky family and Eddie. But <laughs> I like this pickup, and I know people are kind of scratching their head. Like, as a former punter myself, I, I love this pickup. But I know a lot of people are like, punter? Uh, I guess. Yeah, so technically the first transfer pickup for USC came at the punting, at the punter position, and USC did not punt a whole lot in uh, 2022. We know that. And they only had 32 punts on the season. Two of those were by Caleb Williams, uh, tied for 124 in the country. So they really did not punt uh, this past season. But punting and special teams in general left a lot to be desired. Now, to be fair to USC, the punting situation was thrown for a loop, you know, with Atticus Bertram's not being able to come on campus and enroll in the summer. So they had to scramble to find a punter. Aiden Sleep Dalton was there. They pulled him from Australia, you know, had to spend a week in the UK waiting for the visa. So it was this whole thing, getting him on campus, finally going to come on campus. And, you know, he was a little shaky to start. Seemed like he found his confidence in the middle of the season, but then got a little bit shaky at the end. So punting, you know, wasn't, I don't feel like maybe super high on the list of needs as we talked about, but definitely a position you looked at and you'd be like, we could get a lot better. And USC got a lot better. With uh, Chaplisky here, you know, the first team, all Pac-12 punter. So the best punter in the conference is joining the team. And this is a legit guy who could be drafted in the NFL, you know, led the led the conference in punting at around 45.9 uh, yard, yards per punt on 50 attempts. That was first in the Pac-12, number eight nationally. Uh, he had a career-long 75-yard punt. This season, he had a really good breakout freshman year at 43.4, uh, recorded 13 punts of at least 50 yards, and all and three of those, all three of his punts against USC in 2021 were 50 plus yards. So he is very familiar with uh, pinning the Trojans deep. Uh, his average hang time as a true freshman was 4.1, which was tied for second in the Pac-12 and number 17 nationally. So six foot one, 190 pounds, big kid strong leg and dare I say booming punts are coming to the Coliseum Gerard. Yeah. And this is an upgrade. This is a a big upgrade for USC. I love it. I mean, I think that if you're a Trojan fan, you got to be really excited about this. Obviously punting, particularly in the beginning of the season was a true adventure and USC didn't have to punt much. And I'm sure Lincoln Riley was very thankful of that because the punting, I mean, you go back to the spring game, the punting was rough. It was really rough. And that's the type of thing, changing field position, you know, giving a short field to the other offense. I mean, these things impact the game. So I think being able to get uh, one of, if not the best punters in the Pac-12, I think is huge. So this is one of those areas where you go, you you give that upgrade sort of stamp of approval uh, where USC's getting better through the portal. And and, uh, certainly I think special teams, they can get better. Defense, they can get better. It's offense. You just want to replace some players and uh, tweak some things, but uh, this is a, a really good get a pickup, and, and one that, you know, a lot of folks on the peristyle, they keep uh, pounding the table for a special teams coordinator. I mean, USC able to bring in one of the better special teams players in the conference, and no special teams coordinator, so I, I think that's a bit overblown. Um, I think USC really played pretty consistently and fairly well on special teams this year. I, I, I don't think it was uh, great by any means, but I don't think it was bad either. And the thing is, when they had a special teams coach, John Baxter, they would have such 
a bipolar special teams unit. It would be great plays and these little gimmicky plays and they get touchdowns and then they give up touchdowns. And it was like in the same game. <laughs> and basically you're coming back even and you're spending all this time with special teams and you have a coach taking up a full-time special teams uh, position on the staff, which you only get so many full-time assistant positions on the coaching staff. I think it really wasn't benefiting the Trojans. And I think uh, if they're able to play on special teams units in terms of the uh, return units, uh, they weren't great, but I think there's some potential there when you've got Relique Brown and, and maybe some things, you know, start to work with that. Uh, and and I think the, the most important thing is the coverage teams. That's, that's really the most important. You don't want to give up big special teams plays. And so I think they were pretty good at that last year. I think if you can maintain that and just have better punts, more consistent punts, uh, and be able to pin the offenses, you know, deeper in their own territory. I think that's definitely a win for USC. For sure. Definitely a huge upgrade. And I think it's going to alleviate some of those issues we saw with the special teams uh, this past season. Moving on, you know, those are all three of the recent commitments that have joined the Trojans out of the portal. So now we have some just some, you know, top topics to hit really quickly in our transfer portal news segment. But the the lead off for this this group is Coastal Carolina edge rusher Josiah Stewart, who you mentioned in talking about Jamil Muhammad, put out his top three of USC, Michigan, and LSU. Uh, really good pass rusher out of Coastal Carolina's freshman season. Uh, I believe he set the program sack record uh, as a true freshman with 12 and a half, one short of that conference record at 13 and a half. So pretty good breakout season. I believe he was the defensive player of the year in that conference. Not as many sacks uh, in his sophomore year, kind of moved positions to kind of a bandit position for that defense. I believe he had somewhere around three and a half sacks. So kind of a big drop off for him. But he is a hot name in the portal that, you know, every team wants some pass rush. And this guy uh, can get to the quarterback. So USC, Michigan, LSU are his top three at the moment. The The word is it feels like the Wolverines are kind of the leader in this one. But USC certainly in the mix to possibly bring in another uh, dynamic pass rusher. Yeah, and we talked about him a little bit before comparing him with Jamil Muhammad. And I think different type of players, but similar builds. And Stewart, as you said, moved more to a stand-up outside linebacker rush-end position this past year. Had 36 tackles, only three and a half sacks, 10 for losses. He was second team all Sunbelt. So, you know, some of that has to do with maybe moving positions a little bit and trying something different in that defense. They're trying to, you know, get the most out of him athletically, obviously. Uh, and then also, and, and we talked about this with Keon Bars, people got film on him. <laughs> they got film on him. They realized, hey, this is a guy that, you know, we might have to scheme a little bit more against, throw some double teams at. And that's where you see that sophomore slump where uh, the, the, the offense, you know, basically identifies him, scouting him on film and say, okay, we got to do some stuff. Uh, he's not coming out of nowhere like he was his freshman year. So you see that uh, across the board with with various different um, positions and players. You know, we talked about that in in the second game against Utah, the second time Utah was seeing USC's offense and seeing Caleb Williams. And that's something that I think Trojan fans have to sort of um, expect and, and, and realize that this offense – might not be quite as dynamic next year. Now, it could be more dynamic, but if you're looking traditionally at what happens in football, 
um, you get to see an offense multiple times, the defense starts to catch up. The defense starts to close the margin of error more uh, on an offense than vice versa, the more times you get to see. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next year. You know, Caleb's going to have that uh, target on his back as a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, and we saw kind of some of that with Sam Darnold when he came in, Richard freshman year out of nowhere, completely different type of player than uh, Max Brown, who I'm sure most of the Pac-12 schools were preparing for and, and looking at and, you know, total pocket passer. And then you bring in this guy that's scrambling around that's a pretty physical player that got his first scholarship offer out of high school as a linebacker. And so Darnold was a complete, you know, 180 from what you saw with Max Brown stylistically. And a lot of teams just did not know how to scheme against him. And then you come in uh, his redshirt sophomore year, that second year, and all of a sudden it changes a bit. You know, he was still very good, but he turned the ball over a lot more because I think teams were putting the pressure on him and they saw the tendencies. So, you know, even on the defensive side of the ball with a guy like Josiah Stewart, you know, it's clear that came in freshman year. People really didn't know a lot about him, had a great year. And then the second year, the offenses and the offensive lines were like, hey, we've seen this guy on film. This is what he likes to do. Let's uh, let's settle in and, and, and try to, you know, chip block him, throw a tight end over on this side, so on and so forth. So, you know, that's one of those things that you have to have a lot of respect for the consistency of players that put up numbers every year. You know that you know that he's getting double teams. It doesn't matter. Their scheme against him doesn't matter. You know, those type of players are the dominant players in football. And those are the type of guys that get drafted high because the NFL sees that no matter what the college offenses are doing, uh, and if it's on the other side of the ball, no matter what college defenses are doing, this player has been consistently good. That leads us into a bunch of offers that we didn't necessarily get to talk about uh, last week in the chaos of that. But there are some offers that we wanted to headline uh, out of the portal. Uh, I'll just run through them really quick and then Gerard can pick which ones you want to talk about or you know hit on the most interesting ones. But Tulsa defensive lineman Anthony Goodlow. Uh, Southeastern Louisiana cornerback Azarian Alexander. He goes by Z, which good, good enough for me. Uh, great, great little nickname there. Uh, Tulsa offensive lineman Dylan Wade. That was the most recent one. I think that is maybe the most interesting one. Well, maybe not the most interesting, but one of the ones that catches my eye. Uh, UNC cornerback Tony Grimes, uh, former five-star prospect out of the 2020 class, I believe. Uh, Gerard can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, enrolled early, early, you know, reclassified uh, a year early for his class. So technically, you know, he is, you know, play his freshman season in what should have been his senior high school season. So Tony Grimes, you know, first run, first round talent, definitely a high draft pick talent. Uh, and then you have Juco four star offensive lineman Keyshawn. Blackstock, six foot five, three hundred fifteen pounds. The number one JUCO interior offensive lineman. Uh, if you recall, USC signed the number one JUCO off- interior offensive lineman last cycle in Cooper Lovelace. So I am sure they would love to make it two for two in signing the top interior JUCO offensive lineman. Gerard, I don't know if you want to run through the list or you want to pick the guys that stand out to you the most. I'll do whatever you want to do. Well, I mean, I think, as you said, Dylan Wade was the one to watch. You know, when he entered the portal, I immediately kind of got on the peristyle and said, hey, you know, watch for this one. The first offensive lineman and the well, the second offensive player in the transfer portal that USC has offered a scholarship to. So a lot of us thought that, you know, there'd be a couple of scholarship offers given maybe some interior offensive linemen 
there tends to be a lot more interior offensive linemen in the portal uh, available than, you know, true offensive tackles. Uh, but this is a guy that started all uh, uh, 12 games last, uh, last season at Tulsa as a left tackle. Some people see his potential, his ceiling being best in the interior, but certainly the fact that he can play left tackle and is shown at the collegiate level that he can play left tackle is very attractive. It tells you that he's got some good athleticism, 6'4", about 286, um, maybe 290. So he's not a huge guy, uh, but uh, kind of built, watching him on film a little more like an Elijah Vera Tucker. And so, you know, he's from Tulsa. And we know that Zach Hansen, who was the offensive line coach at Tulsa. Recruited uh, him? Recruited him, yeah. Recruited him out of that class, yeah. Recruited him for that class. Um, did he not coach him? Was he not? There? He coached him for that one year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So has a relationship. Uh, <laughs> Wade has had a, a few different scholarships from a, a bunch of different schools. And a lot of those coaches are at other schools now uh, off of that staff. And so, you know, you've seen Auburn and some of these other schools try to go after him. It will be interesting to see if USC gets a shot here. Uh, he certainly would be a bit of an upgrade, uh, a good player to bring along. And like I said, the first true transfer that USC has offered. Now, technically, uh, Keyshawn Blackstock would be a transfer from the junior college ranks, uh, but USC actually goes after him first, which you know tells you that they're pretty happy with Cooper Lovelace. I think if they felt they got burned from that evaluation and Cooper Lovelace wasn't going to be a guy that was going to be able to play for them, they probably would be a little more hesitant, uh, but they go right out of the gates and, and the first real offer they have of a player that's uh, not out of high school is Blackstock. So 6'5", you know, 315 pounds, number one Juco, uh, interior offensive lineman. So those are really the two offensive linemen right now that we know of that USC is really serious about. And so um, we'll see if Blackstock, they can get him on campus, uh, you know, either this week. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to be a guy that's going to be around in January. So, you know, they kind of have to bring him in this week if he wants to be an early signing. Don't really know much about him. I mean, they just offered him a scholarship. So in terms of, you know, where he's leaning and what have you, uh, he's a bit of a mystery that, you know, we're going to have to try to do a little bit more research on. I had reached out to him uh, just to see if, you know, he was going to take a visit to USC at some point midweek. That's the other thing with his transfers. We talked about this last week. They kind of pop up you know, midweek sometimes. You know, it's not like high school kids where they're, where they're in class right now or whatever. So, you know, you never know when they could pop up on campus and, you know, a guy could take uh, like three of his official visits in the span of a week. And that has happened with the transfer portal. So uh, things could happen a lot quicker uh, with that. And um, and certainly, I think last but not least, out of that group to talk about is, is Tony Grimes, you know, the former five star, number one cornerback in that 2020 class, a guy that a lot of people thought was going to be sort of a transformative type of talent for UNC. You know, he had some production. He wasn't a bad player for UNC. Um, you know, it was a starter uh, from day one there and, and was a guy that, you know, actually for a young player. And like you said, a guy that reclassifies, uh, you know, to, to be a guy that actually played quite a bit was, I, I think, impressive in and of itself. But a lot of people were just expecting more. You know, he got beat. And as a true freshman, I mean, I think that just is going to happen. But last season, he had 36 tackles. He didn't have any interceptions. He had seven passes uh, defended. He was uh, honorable mention. All SEC or all ACC, excuse me, in 2021. Um, he is a four star out of the porthole right now, and a guy that 
you know, it's an interesting sort of when we talk about replacing versus upgrading, you know, how do you compare him with Makai Blackman? I think from a talent standpoint, potential standpoint, Grimes is looked at as a guy that could be an NFL guy, you know, hasn't had a ton of injuries or anything. So he's just not been ultra productive and he's gotten beat uh, a bit too much for people that, you know, they're looking at him as a five star. They want to see him lock down half of the field, you know, put him on man coverage and he's going to lock down the top receiver from the other team. And that's that, you know, you play your defense away from the fact that he's going to lock down that number one receiver and have that side of the field covered. And he wasn't that guy. But again, you know, you're talking about a, a, a guy that's, you know, kind of um, been young and, and reclassified. It's, it's an interesting, intriguing uh, scholarship offer, and he's going to visit USC. So I think, um, you know, out of the guys that they've offered scholarships to, and you talked about Alexander, um, they've also offered a scholarship to Kyrie Jackson, who took an official visit to Oregon last weekend. A lot of people talking uh, that, you know, Oregon is going to be his leader. Uh, you know, he's been more productive than Jackson. Jackson's a former Juco All-American cornerback out of Alabama, um, or he was not a junior cornerback in Alabama, but before he went to Alabama. Uh, but, you know, certainly another guy that, you know, he played right away for Alabama in the national championship game. He started in the national championship game for Alabama but then sort of faded and, and other guys jumped him and he just wasn't consistent enough and is an older player by that uh, measure in my eyes, just because he's coming, you know, from the junior college ranks and, and then starting as, as opposed to, you know, Tony Grimes, who, you know, out of the gates out of high school was a starter for UNC. So, um, you know, Tony Grimes has got more snaps under his belt. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, six foot 195 pounds, you know, sort of about the same size as a Makai Blackman with Kyrie Jackson, and um, Azari and Alexander, those are both 6'3", kind of lankier corners. Alexander, you know, don't really know a whole lot about him. 27 tackles, three interceptions, uh, seven passes defended. Uh, he was third team uh, last year with six interceptions. So he's a guy that really jumped on the map uh, for Southeast Louisiana last year as a true freshman and uh, didn't have quite the production. But, I mean, still three interceptions. So he's, he's playing pretty well, but certainly at a competition level, that's a, a good notch below what Tony Grimes is seeing. So it's one of those things that, um, you know, Grimes is just interesting. He's, he's an interesting character in terms of, you know, he was a little bit like Caleb Williams for that UNC uh, recruiting class. And we'll maybe talk a little bit about that later. Uh, but a guy that um, is, is really sort of a gravitational point, not only on the field, but off the field. And I think that's going to wrap up the cold open, Gerard, a very hefty cold open with three commits a top three, and then a bunch of interesting eye-catching offers. So for that, we can kind of move on to the fact that there was official visitors last week. There's official visitors this coming week, as I mentioned, the last time you can visit for December with high school prospects. So a lot of schools jamming in some visits for this week. So we can kind of combine these a little bit. But last week, USC did host uh, Jamil Muhammad, as we already mentioned and kind of talked about. USC did a really good job. I believe that was his first official visit and just sealed it from there. Uh, I'm so close to getting an interview with him to talk about him joining the, the Trojans. So hopefully by the next time we have this podcast, I will have some more stuff to talk about for, for that official visit and, and you know his future with USC. But very close to getting the interview. And then three-star safety Tyler Scott, who USC offered in the middle of the season and a guy who was just blown up. With offers, uh, he took that official visit. He is 
supposed to be making a commitment on December 1st signing day. So that should be sort of a quote unquote exciting one, you know, one that's going to have happen on the day of the early signing period. But uh, USC was his fourth uh, visit. He has he's scheduled to take a Texas visit this weekend. He's already vis- visited uh, Alabama earlier this month. He also took an unofficial during the season. Uh, he already visited uh, Auburn as well in October, and he's also taken unofficial to Tennessee. So he's made some trips. Like I said, a guy who's certainly blown up with offers. USC is among his top seven. That includes Alabama, Auburn, Texas, and some other big-time programs. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to trim that down after this weekend, maybe put out a top three, top five, top four, whatever. I would expect USC to be in there, but uh, again, we'll have to see when we get the update from Steve Wilfong uh, about him, and he, he kind of did the primer for that visit going in, you know, him locking in that visit, but, you know, saw some of the pictures, looked like he had a good time, and this is an interesting one, as USC still continues to go after some high school defensive backs, not just transfer defensive backs, Gerard. Yeah, it, it's a very interesting one, because it seemed like USC was kind of fading for him, you know, in the last month, took that official visit to Alabama. Uh, they already taken an official visit to Auburn before they actually hired Hugh Freeze. That was back in October. And he has that official visit set for Texas. So it seemed like maybe he was going to stay in the SEC. USC was also recruiting C.J. Blocker very hard out of New Caney, Texas, four-star. And he's actually looked at as a cornerback and rated as a cornerback, whereas Tyler Scott is rated as a safety. However, I see Tyler Scott being uh, that guy that USC has been trying to get the whole cycle. First, you had Braxton Myers, who was uh, uh, rated as a safety, four-star safety uh, out of Texas, and yet was looked at as a a, a cornerback at the high school level, played cornerback, and USC talked about him playing boundary corner. Now, there was a lot of differing opinions about that, but that's what they were selling him on. They were saying, hey, we're going to bring you in as a boundary corner. We think you can play that position. You play that position at high school, and you've been pretty good. Body type-wise, in terms of you know ultimate potential, a lot of people felt like this is a guy that you got to play at safety. Then we sort of transitioned to Warren Robertson out of Red Oak, Texas, uh, another four-star, a guy that um, a little bigger, uh, a little thicker, like you know, six foot, about 200, 205 pounds, but played on both sides of the ball. Another guy rated more as a safety, but plays corner in high school. So USC's on him. He comes in with Braxton Myers during that golden hour official visit weekend. And the feeling is USC is probably going to be the leader coming out of that visit. He really was hemming and hawing about whether he wanted to take other official visits or he wanted to commit over the summer. He ends up waiting and uh, the, the window just sort of passes a bit. You know, he starts looking at TCU. And I think ultimately just staying close to home with his mom was something that was sort of uh, a big factor in his recruitment throughout. And the longer his recruitment went, you know, the, the less chance USC had. And ultimately, he commits to TCU. TCU has that great run. You know, nobody sees that coming um, out of the Big 12 where they're going to end up in the college football playoff. And TCU's, you know, cleaning up a bit. You know, they're, they're in an interesting spot there in that. Dallas-Fort Worth area where you've got a lot of talent there and it's usually uh, pillaged by Oklahoma and Texas and Texas A&M. But now, you know, TCU is actually getting some of these guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how that program evolves under Sonny Dykes going forward. 
with that they're able to actually recruit some of these top players in that region. So now we fast forward and we get into September, October, and Tyler Scott gets a scholarship offer. And I think he's that guy. I think he's in that mold. He plays cornerback in high school. He's very physical. He's uh, listed, I think, at like 6'2", 190 pounds. So he's kind of in that build as well. He's a little lankier. He actually looks a little taller on film. I've never seen him in person. So I can't really compare him to Braxton Myers uh, or Warren Roberson um, with, with you know, confidence. But on film, when I watch him play, he looks a little taller, a little, a little more rangy. But a lot of people feel like ultimately uh, his skill set is better at safety, more as a, kind of a free safety type of player. And with USC, you know, they're playing three safeties on the field every down. You know, personnel sets, you're almost every down seeing three safeties on the field. So uh, there's three different positions you can play them at. You can play them sort of that nickel safety. And I think that's really where, you know, Dante uh, Dante Williams was talking a lot about that position with Braxton Myers and Warren Roberson. They're talking boundary corner. And again, you know, I think that was just sort of, a recruiting pitch for both those players. I think ultimately you would have probably seen them line up more in the nickel as uh, you know, that type of sort of uh, nickel safety slash corner, just kind of depending on who you're putting them up against really. Cause if you're putting them up against a tight end or, or a bigger receiver, then it's probably more of a safety that you want there because you might end up getting that guy blocked in the RPO game. And then all of a sudden you get a bubble screen or you get a run to the outside. you got to have a guy that's got some strength and, and some, some, some power in his butt to be able to run block and, and, or excuse me, uh, support the run and get off a run block and be able to make a tackle in the backfield. So it's one of those situations where with Tyler Scott, you know, you see a guy that's very physical at the line of scrimmage. Um, not a lot of uh, highlights of him in the open field or running man and, and um, you know, being more of a coverage guy. So again, I sort of think he fits that mold uh, that USC has been looking for as a guy that, uh, is probably, you know, his his upside is at safety, but he's played cornerback in high school, and potentially you can move him up over the slot and play some of that sort of nickel uh, position that USC uses quite a bit. And we can kind of move into the official visits that are upcoming for this week. As we mentioned, Keon Bars, the new USC commit, he was on campus taking his visit on, on Tuesday and uh, went ahead and made the commitment this morning, you know, tweeted out, Feels good to wake up as a Trojan, so pretty locked in. That was one for this week. As we mentioned, UNC quarterback Tony Grimes will be making a visit, uh, official visit soon. And then for in terms of the high school class, defensive lineman Sam Green, cornerback Malachi Crawford, and the wide receiver Jacoby Lane, they are expected to take their official visits this weekend. Now things can change, and we're still trying to confirm that everyone is locked in for this weekend, but for for right now, that is the tentative guest list for USC this week in terms of the high schoolers. Yeah, Grimes will be coming in Thursday. And uh, Lane is actually going to be hosting Lincoln Riley, I think, in home tonight. So Lincoln Riley probably going to hit um, maybe Elijah Page and go see uh, um, Deuce Robinson as well, possibly, uh, if he's you know in Arizona might you know kill all those birds with one stone and, and make that trip we know that uh with deuce robinson you know he's a guy that that's one of the big fish that are still out there and you know the you want to sort of position yourself where you get that last in-home visit but you know this is really coming into the end here this weekend is really the last weekend of recruiting uh before you get into that early signing period and so 
Um, probably going to see all three of those guys get in on visits with Lincoln Riley. And obviously Lincoln Riley's got a lot at his plate with uh, Mike Leach passing away. Uh, you know, our prayers and condolences to the Leach family. Um, you know, he's very close uh, with Lincoln Riley and, and Lincoln Riley's a disciple of Mike Leach. So, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's got a, a lot on his plate right now. And I'm sure there's going to be funeral arrangements and things that they're going to try to, you know, pack into this crazy, you know, week that's coming up. So uh, certainly don't envy uh, Coach Riley. He's going to be uh, all over the place and probably, uh, you know, a, a lot of flights uh, ahead of him. Yeah, and I think he used that opportunity while he was on the East Coast for the Heisman ceremony to shoot on down to the Baltimore, Maryland area and do his in-home visit with uh, Sam Green and his family. So just bouncing all over the country right now. And, you know, yeah, definitely – Definitely has to, you know, fit in the funeral for for one of his mentors in Mike Leach and the guy who gave him his start as a coach. And you know, without Mike Leach, we, you know, it's quite possible that Lincoln Riley isn't where he is right now. You know, not having coached three Heisman winners, you know, taking teams to the college football playoffs and one of the best coaches in college football right now. So owes a lot to Mike Leach. So definitely will will have to fit in that 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 time to be with Leach and his family and go out there to, to uh, attend the funeral, but just a crazy hectic month for this staff and even more crazy now with the, with the unfortunate passing of uh, Mike Leach. Um, and I think that kind of wraps up where we're at with, in terms of official visitors. So we can kind of move back into the transfer target list, if you will. Now this was by far the most in-depth, and lucid talk you've ever done on a podcast last week where you just went. I'm not really sure what it's going to look like right now, but it seems like you just want to go through and kind of break down who is off the board for USC. Not not necessarily in terms of offers, but just guys that were in the portal. Is that correct? Yeah, this is certainly going to be much more concise. You know, last week, we were like a day into the portal and there wasn't a lot of scholarship offers out yet. There really was just initial talks as to, you know, there's still going to be players going into the portal. And I think you still get the sense that USC is being patient. You know, I think there's definitely a feeling like there could be some more big time players that enter the portal that there are, you know, each day. And so this is not just the first window, but I think it's just the first kind of wave that we've seen. And it's sort of trickling down, but it can happen in a snap where all of a sudden another player, you know, maybe after a bowl game or what have you jumps into the portal and that's going to be a guy that you want to save a spot for. So I think with some of these teams in particular USC, it's interesting to see the patience that they've had and particularly offensive line, because on the offensive side of the ball, in terms of upgrading, that's really the one position where you're, you're trying to upgrade the other positions, receiver, running back where you lose some guys that you had as transfers, you know, those positions you just want to replace talent because there were good productive players at those positions, guys like Jordan Addison, uh, who has not yet uh, declared for the NFL draft, but we assume he's going to go to the NFL. And, and then the two running backs, the seniors, uh, Travis Dye, who will obviously move on, and Austin Jones, who we don't know 100% sure, you know, whether he's going to move on or not, still feels like that's probably where he's leaning. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, those are positions where you've got production. Offensive line, you know, you've got to get a little bit better. I think 
certainly against Utah, if you put on that film, you see way too many guys on the ground, way too many guys missing blocks, and there's just too much uh, that's put on uh, Caleb Shoulder's shoulders, who's, you know, hurt already, less than 50%. So, you know, you got to see what USC looked like <laughs> with a pocket quarterback. And we talked about last week, we may see what USC looks like with a pocket quarterback versus Tulane, as uh, Miller Moss, it would not surprise me, gets a start in that game. Now, it's going to look a little different in terms of uh, the scheme. Uh, I think Lincoln Riley is definitely going to have a, a bit more um, that he's going to work with to try to, you know, give him pocket protection, maybe max protection. Maybe you're going to have you know, less receivers going out, what, what have you. It's, it's going to change the offense a bit, uh, and we're going to see how that works. But on the offensive line, in terms of trying to get guys that are that are good players that come in and, and upgrade the offensive line, USC has not had a lot of scholarship offers out. You know, Dylan Wade, as we talked about, was the first and the only right now, technically, uh, transfer that USC has offered a scholarship to on the offensive line. Jake Honeybrook, who was uh, one of the top offensive guards in the Pac-12 last year, uh, he was a guy that, you know, we talked about maybe being a guy that USC would make a move for. Never offered him a scholarship, but he's already committed to Duke. Um, at receiver, we've seen USC be very patient here, and there hasn't been too many big-time guys out there uh, in terms of production, uh, certainly no wow factor type, wide receivers, uh, Jaheim Bell. Uh, who's a quasi receiver slash tight end also ran the ball a bit for South Carolina was probably the best overall prospect on the board uh, for USC as an offensive player uh, for a while was the only offensive player that actually had a scholarship offer. He goes to Florida state. So he's off the board. One guy to keep an eye on uh, with receiver and we talked about maybe there's no like wow factor type guys. I mean, guys that are of the ilk of Jordan Addison, um, Caden Prather who's uh, a big 6'4", 211-pound uh, wide receiver uh, out of, um, I'm blinking, uh, uh, West Virginia, uh, a guy that uh, I think is just a sophomore now. It's been very productive for them and has a lot of upside. He's definitely, for a bigger receiver, a split-end type guy, a very talented player. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if USC might want to get involved there. Now, he, to this point, does not have a scholarship offer from USC right now. And so again, USC being patient, maybe there's some other guys that they expect to enter the portal. They don't necessarily need a wide receiver. We talked about in terms of need, you want two to four offensive linemen uh, when you're talking about interior guys and offensive tackles A wide receiver. You don't really need a wide receiver. You'd like to be able to have somebody that comes in and is at the level of Jordan Addison, but you've got three really good wide receivers in this committed class. Uh, Zach Branch, who's the number one wide receiver in the country. Uh, Makai Lemon, who is one of a five-star going to be wide receivers. And then you've got Jacoby Lane, who at this point remains committed. Arizona State is trying to woo him and trying to keep him interested in staying home. Uh, but as a guy that's, you know, that 6'4", 190-pound range, who's, uh, you know, similar uh, to Caden Prather, uh, but um, – a guy that's coming out of the high school ranks and, and it probably wouldn't be able to hit the ground running quite uh, as, as, as soon and it'd be an impact player quite as quickly, but nevertheless, the talented player that you have. So, you know, you got three guys coming in from the high school ranks. It's not like some of these other positions where you just don't see the talent and the immediate impact. I mean, at the very least, I think you're going to see a lot of Makai Lemon and Zach Branch next year 
You'll see them on special teams and you'll see them at receiver. You'll see them doing a lot of what we saw with Michael Jackson and Addison, where they're using them as, as running backs and some of those zip motion plays, which I think with those two guys and their speed could be even deadlier. So I think that's a wrinkle that USC's used some in games this year. I think you could see a lot more of that next year just with those two young players, just because they're that good in the open field. Um, but uh, that's, uh, you know, at the wide receiver position, uh, one guy, uh, a quasi-athlete off the board in Jaheim Bell. No running backs offered and, and no big-time running backs that, that really USC is, is lost out at that they've, you know, offered scholarships to. On defense, they did offer a scholarship to Kalen Banks out of Louisville, big six seven, three hundred 300-pounder. Has absolutely no production. Kind of a surprise scholarship offer for me there uh, from USC. He, he did have quite a few offers. He ends up committing to Florida. He's just a big guy, had some injury issues, and just hasn't really been very productive. Uh, and again, you know, that's more of a replacement in my eyes. That's, you know, okay, we're losing Brandon Peely. Okay, we lost Kobe Pepe. Let's just go get a big guy that's 300 pounds. But not necessarily a guy that um, has popped up on the radar production-wise in, in two years at Louisville. And certainly, I, I mean, I look at him, I go, wow, I mean, what would he do on the offensive line? I wonder if Florida's thinking that as well. Um, in terms of edge rushers, Desal McCullough, uh, commits to Oklahoma. We thought that was going to happen. Um, and linebacker, you know, USC picks up a guy. They haven't had any, you know, haven't really lost any top players yet at that position. And the same at DB. We're looking at Kyrie Jackson potentially might end up at Oregon. Uh, he's rated uh, as a three-star. He was a five-star coming out of high school as a Juco American, as we talked about before. Um, but now rated as a three-star. And again, you know, you don't really want to bring in guys that are, that are losing stars uh, at, in the college level. You know, you want to see guys that are sort of getting some upside um, that, you know, coming out of high school, maybe they're a three-star, but now they're considered a four-star. So, you know, there's something to work with there. You're seeing a player that's trajectory in terms of talent, ability, potential is going upward. I just wanted to add that this is something I missed from this morning, but the Miami's starting left tackle, John Campbell, has actually entered the portal as of this morning. So just wanted to throw that name out there as someone to potentially keep an eye on and see, see where that goes. That's very interesting considering, you know, Mario Cristobal sort of, you know, hangs his hat on offensive line recruiting and offensive linemen and, you know, with all the bags and all the NIL stuff going on in Miami that their starting left tackle would be moving on. Now that signals a couple things. Maybe it just signals that, you know, Miami felt like they, he couldn't do the job. He wasn't going to be the starter. He wasn't going to be guaranteed the starter and they're going after other guys. Maybe there's somebody else that they think is going to enter the portal that they're already trying to make a move with, and he's gotten wind of that because we saw that with Jackson Dart. You know, Caleb Williams had not actually, you know, ended up at USC yet, but there was a lot of talk that he was going to visit, and boom, Jackson Dart is in the portal, and he was already sort of well aware of, uh, you know, kind of what he wanted to do because of all the sort of uh, communications going on in the background with high school coaches and everything. You know, we talked about this already. If you are waiting for one of these top, you know, players to end up in the porthole, uh, that was a former five-star, a guy that's been really good production-wise in college, chances are you're already well behind in that race. So, um, you know, call it tampering or whatever. That's just the way the game is right now. And perhaps Miami's got wind of somebody that might be available. And, um, you know, this kid has also gotten wind of it and says, well, I'm not going to be the starter next year, so I'm going to move on. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's uh, some fallout from that. Got no love for coach, apparently, but started 12 games for the Hurricane uh, at left tackle. Missed all 2020 with a knee injury, so 
Definitely have to do your due diligence if they're going to be sniffing around Campbell. But a former three-star prospect out of Orlando, Florida, played in 34 games over five years for the Hurricanes with 18 starts, 16 at left tackle, one at right tackle, and one at left guard. So has some flexibility. I, I don't necessarily know if this guy would be a starter level, but definitely a guy you could bring in to compete for a starting job and be a guy who helps uh, rise that second team or that rotation if, if you need need it. Uh, but definitely got to keep an eye on, you know, does have starting experience, does have that knee injury, but we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that. But just wanted to throw that name out there since we were kind of in the targetless portion of the show. And with that, Gerard, I think we can take our break now. Okay. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about the updated top 247 rankings. We'll talk about crystal ball stock market, which we haven't done in a while, some in-home visits, and then perhaps maybe everyone's what might be everyone's favorite segment, uh, unsubstantiated rumors talk. But, you know, those are those are for the for the diehards there. But we'll be right back after this break. OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gerard, how was the break? It was lovely, fantastic, great. I can tell you are not lying because I can hear it in your voice, but I'm going to bring up something that you're not going to like because you're not really big into the ranking stuff, but I know a lot of people follow that and I have to do a story every time there is an update in the top 247 and we just got one on Tuesday with some interesting uh, tweaks. I'm just going to kind of kind of read off kind of the main ones and you can kind of react to the ones you want to. But here are the headlining things. I think the biggest thing, the lead for me was edge rusher Braylon, excuse me, edge rusher Braylon Shelby moving up 85 spots to number 61 in the country, well into the top 100. And this is someone that you, Gerard, have been banging the table for since he committed to the Trojans even before that. But we see him make a huge, huge rise. I feel like every time we've had an update, he has jumped at least double-digit spots at every one, and he had that big one over the summer. I believe it was like 165 he jumped. Uh, something ridiculous, but just keeps climbing up the boards. Now number 161. Also saw his rating go from 93 to 96, I believe. The other big headlining thing is that Makai Lemon finally has his fifth star. We told everybody we, we would keep telling people, you know, he is in the top 32. He's going to get his five star. 
247 does it differently where they give out five stars slowly and then at the end they list off the top 32 the top five stars reflects the nfl draft first round draft picks that's kind of what it is but 247 is actually going to be moving towards scrapping that model and doing 32 five-star prospects before their senior years and then it'll change from there so definitely Everyone's going to love that, Gerard. Everyone's going to love it when they lose five-star status uh, throughout the season. But that's going to be what the formula is moving forward. But Makai Lemon, number one, number 21 in the country, saw his position shift from athlete to wide receiver, the number four wide receiver in the class. He did not move up or down, stayed flat at number 21, but he's officially a five-star and a consensus five-star. Speaking of consensus five-star, Zachariah Branch is technically now the number one recruit Via the top 247 in USC's class, he moves up to number seven overall, jumping quarterback Malachi Nelson, who moves down to number eight. So technically, Zachariah Branch is the highest rated prospect USC has in their class via the top 247 ranking. So I thought that was interesting. Malachi Crawford, the four-star cornerback uh, out of Pacifica, and then Elijah Page, the four-star offensive tackle out of Pinnacle in Arizona, they both had... Significant jumps. I believe it's 65 spots for Malachi and then about 75 spots for Elijah Page. Big jumps. They're now number 161 and number 169 in the top 247. I think in the last update, they had some slight drops, but they are back up in a big way for them. So firmly in the top top 200, excuse me. And then the other ones that I know people are kind of mad about, specifically, you know, Micah Buenuelos actually took a, a sizable drop. It's number 245, I believe. So he was in danger of missing the top 247 USC's four-star offensive lineman uh, projected to be a center at the next level. But the main one, Tackett Curtis, actually takes a nine-spot drop. And I believe this is like something like the fourth consecutive time he's dropped in the rankings. I believe he was like 101 at the start of the uh, fall season or or something like that. And he's now all the way down to 142. So just taking little small drops, but that's an interesting one. And I know one that the pair style is not very happy about because Tad Curtis, a lot of USC fans favorite commit in this 2023 class, four-star linebacker out of Louisiana and congrats to him in uh, Manny high school, just completed a 15 and O record and won the state championship. So Tad Curtis gets to go out with an, perfect record and a state champion before he enrolls early at USC in a few weeks. So congrats to him and that program for, for ending on a super high note. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I know you threw that in my lap here as to what do you think about Tackett Curtis dropping? I've already talked about my guests just having discussed it superficially with some of the guys on the ranking committee in terms of, you know, upside and and what have you. And, you know, maybe he's tapped out physically more than other players. That's all that I got. That's all that I know with the rankings. I think it's, um, you know, like college football rankings. It's a little bit of just getting people to discuss things and what have you. Um, At the same time, you know, Braylon Shelby, I think he could have probably moved up more. I think he's definitely a big time player. Makai Lemon, we've been talking about as a five-star forever, even though he wasn't officially a five-star We've always talked about him being a five-star. He was always in that range when they were acknowledging five-stars of athletes. Um, and the rest of the players, you know, I think it's interesting with Crawford. 
and Page, you know, moving up. I mean, I think that's a, a good sign, uh, particularly with Page, you know, seeing that, uh, you know, he had a, a sort of head-to-head, um, not on the field, but uh, figuratively uh, battle with uh, Caleb Lamu. And uh, Lamu, you know, got the better of that uh, in terms of uh, just, I think, performance. And obviously his team got the better of that winning 25 nothing. Um, but Page is still just a huge pickup for USC. I mean, getting quality offensive linemen in general for USC is, is big. And I think they've got a quality class uh, of guys that can come in and can contribute. Do they have that franchise off tackle? No, they don't. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens with the portal. Uh, anytime those type of guys are out there, whether it's the high school ranks or it's a transfer, those guys are going to be hard to get because there's just few uh, of them out there to be able to get. And so, you know, whether you're talking about, uh, you know, that three technique on the defensive side of the ball or that franchise left tackle, big guys like that, they go high in the NFL draft and, and they're very coveted at the college football level. So we'll see if USC is uh, going to be able to do what they weren't able to do last year and get that guy, because that's again, you know, position where they need to upgrade, you know, they want to be an elite team and they want to be there with the, the Ohio States and the Georgias and the Alabamas and the Clemsons of the world. Obviously Clemson, uh, has faded here in the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the rise of Georgia too. So, you know, being consistently among those type of teams that are, you know, annually mentioned among the best top five, six teams in college football, you've got to have very talented offensive lines. You know, you've got to have good offensive lines and um, you've got to have uh, defenses that stop the run, defenses that don't give allow you know, big plays. Uh, defenses that uh, can force turnovers like USC's defense did this season. It's just between the 20s, USC's defense was was pretty bad. Um, they weren't so bad in the red zone, but uh, they uh, weren't necessarily good about, uh, you know, not being gashed in the run and being consistent. Uh, certainly against Utah, they were just not good overall. And, you know, Utah is one of the, 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 the really three teams they played that were really good teams. You know, UCLA was a good team. I'd say Notre Dame was actually a good team. I mean, certainly Notre Dame had the talent um, and played against USC like a team that, you know, was in a college football playoff two years ago. Um, so that's where USC's got to improve. And we uh, we just haven't seen it quite yet out of uh, the high school ranks in terms of the offensive line, um, getting those uh, sort of, uh, you know, franchise level players. Uh, but certainly at the skill positions, USC's done well. Um, they're doing uh, fairly well, I think, with Shelby. And I think Taka Curtis is a guy that is going to make a splash next season. I think USC would love if they could get him on campus and he could, you know, learn enough to be a Mike linebacker and actually compete for a starting job going into fall camp. It's a lot to ask, but I think he has the potential to do that. I think that between the years, he has what it takes. And I think physicality wise, you know, he could hit the round running as a true freshman. And that's what you really want, um, you know, regardless of what I think 24-7 thinks potential wise long term you know, immediate impact. I think Tackett Curtis could be one of those guys. And I think we can move on from there to keeping with the high school prospect theme with crystal ball stock market. And we haven't done one of these in a while. And I think the last one we did wasn't a crystal ball for the Trojans, but today we're talking about a crystal ball for the Trojans with Arlington, Virginia, three-star defensive lineman, Elijah Hughes. And if you need a refresher on Elijah Hughes, that was a defensive lineman that USC offered in the fall, got him on campus for an official visit, and then 
not much has been out there for for Elijah Hughes, six foot two and a half, two hundred sixty five pounds. Arlington, Virginia, picks up a USC Crystal Ball today from Evan G. Watkins. That is a five confidence level, and I believe uh, Evan works for the Virginia Tech Insider, and we were kind of reported earlier in the in the year that you know Virginia Tech was considered the leader for Hughes and Stanford was up there as well. But as you know, Stanford, you know, went through a little bit of a change with their, with their, with their head coach. So, you know, to have this crystal ball kind of come out of nowhere, it feels like we know USC needs defensive linemen. And I don't think they would be shy about taking a high school prospect, even though they're still hitting the portal hard. Uh, So just an interesting crystal ball that's come in today for us to kind of look at uh, Gerard. Yeah, I don't really know really what to make of it. Um, <laughs> we've never been able to talk to Elijah and, and get a vibe, you know, for him as to what he's really serious about with schools and, and whether distance is, is really a factor. Obviously, Virginia Tech has been thought the, the leader and the favorite there for a while, and they did not have a very good year. There's potentially some coaching turnover there. Don't really know, but it's an interesting one nonetheless. Uh, certainly on the other side of things, you know, the implication you get here is whether there's room at USC. And certainly at that edge position, um, you know, USC gets Muhammad. They have potential of some other players. They've been able to recruit the edge position pretty well at USC. On defense, safety, and edge rushers, they haven't had a huge problem. And, and remember, there's still another window uh, of portal that we have to go through in May. So this first you know, group, we've seen some players, they get a commitment. They're uh, recruiting a couple other players. We talked about Josiah Stewart you know, potentially being a guy. Uh, if he ends up on campus for an official visit, I think USC would have a pretty good shot at him as well. Um, but nevertheless, you know, Hughes is a guy that's going to have his hand on the ground mostly. Uh, he's a little more of a defensive end type rush in. He's a little more of a five technique. And so you're looking at Nick Figueroa uh, as a replacement. Um, There's been other players that have, you know, I think in terms of body type and what have you probably uh, match up a little more what Nick Figueroa gave it. And we, you know, got to give credit, a little dap to Nick Figueroa, a guy that came in as a three star. Nobody really talked about him very much. He was a Juco guy and he played really well, man. He had a lot of flashes for USC. Kind of unfortunate. He's had to go through so many different defenses as a Trojan, because you just feel like, man, if he was able to kind of just center in on one defense and one scheme and they just used him as a as a five technique, he would have been pretty good for USC. I, I think he was a very productive player in the flashes and, and sort of all the experiments that went on on the defensive line with Todd Orlando and, and, and Alex uh, Grinch. And even before that, you know, with Clancy Pendergast, we saw a lot of mixing and matching the defensive lines and and, you know, whether you're running a two, four, five, or you're running a three man line, or you're running, you know, whatever they were doing with all these different hybrid three, four looks, you know, Nick Figueroa was, was in there and then he was out and he was in there and he was out. And so, you know, you were trying to replace a, a pretty good player there. And we're just not sure if that's going to come from the portal or if USC goes ahead and greens lights uh, going after a high school prospect there. Obviously you still have Mateo Ungolale who's out there, uh, five star out of St. John Bosco. You know, a lot of people want to know about that. I think we've talked about him almost uh, every podcast or every war room. And, you know, he's kind of got that top three out there. 
You never know with him. <laughs> and all of a sudden he pops up at Georgia or something this weekend. Uh, but, you know, he, he kind of implied that it's going to be Oregon, USC, or Ohio State. And there are some people that are very confident that he's going to Ohio State. I have not gotten that vibe, um, you know, to, to sort of uh, take a, a turn here away from talking about Elijah Hughes. Big turn. Talking about Ungalale. But I, I haven't gotten that vibe, at least from Bosco folks, that, you know, Ohio State has some huge lead. You know, I've always uh, thought since probably the end of summer where we started to hear, you know, Ohio State was kind of the team to beat, uh, that uh, they were a favorite, but they were never like a huge favorite. And even in recent weeks, you know, Oregon making more of a play for him, um, getting in him visits, uh, Tosh LePoy really working hard to try to get him, and um, USC kind of just hanging around, but still hanging around nonetheless and certainly not out of it. And uh, just waiting to kind of see, you know, what happens here uh, as we get closer to signing day and whether, you know, that that in-home visit with uh, Lincoln Riley and uh, Sean Nua is kind of have to be the deal closer and whether they can do it or not. Um, certainly, I, I don't think trend-wise, you know, USC's not necessarily like trending upward with him right now. They've kind of been stagnant. The thing that makes me pessimistic about him, and I mentioned this on the Peristyle the other day, is just the fact that USC has done so much to recruit him. I mean, they've had such a, a, a great year lining up, you know, that spot, that blueprint with Tuli, Tui Pelotu. And really, in terms of recruiting right now, as it sits with the, the way the, the pool of talent and the porthole uh, sits and, and looking at, you know, what USC has in terms of options at the high school level, Mateo is the only guy that really kind of fits, you know, in replacing Tuli, Tui Pelotu. Probably not initially out of the gates because he's a high school guy. He's going to take a year or so to, to, to really kind of build up, get stronger, to be able to be, you know, a guy at that level. But really in terms of talent and upside, the only guy that you can see that you say, okay, he could probably do some of the things that Tui Pelotu does. If he stays healthy, he stays focused, he stays hungry, you know, he might be able to be that guy. And the fact that you know, Tui Pelotu has had such a great year, and he's done all these crazy things like play linebacker and play in coverage and, and get sacks and, and be, you know, top two and sacks for most of the year. And it just seems like Mateo Ngale is like, yeah, that's cool. But I'm um, thinking about this, you know, visit to Georgia or, oh, I'm thinking about this visit to Clemson. It's always like there's something else going on with him and he's not really totally sold on USC. And so I know his parents really love USC. Um, uh, you know, his dad's a businessman, though, and, and I think he's talked up USC uh, because, you know, locally he, he knows he'll be back last year if he goes somewhere else. But I do think sincerely, like his folks would love to see him on the West Coast. Uh, you know, having DJ, his brother over at Clemson, I think was was tough for them. Uh, but uh, there's been a lot of talk of maybe a package deal with DJ and Mateo. I, I think that's like that's possible, but not necessarily probable. I have not gotten anyone that said, yeah, you know, that's that's going to be a thing that's going to determine where Mateo goes, because I think there's some schools there that DJ could end up at that Mateo is not really feeling. But again, you know, he's got that top three, which I think is better to list as a top three, even this late in the stage of the game, rather than, you know, his final three of USC, Oregon and Ohio State. There's always that possibility that something happens there. Um, with his, you know, his brother and, and, you know, UCLA has been talked about. There is even some discussions about Georgia, some crazy things with DJ uh, being, um, you know, sort of the catalyst as to where Mateo would go. But they're different players, certainly, 
off the field. They're very different players. And that's why I always thought that, you know, USC at the end would have a good shot because of the, the music industry and, and the connections there. And ultimately, some of the things he wants to do after football, uh, they line up really well for USC, uh, much more than they do with Oregon and much more than they do with Ohio State. Uh, so we'll see what happens here. But, uh, yeah, there's, um, you know, the, the feeling from the national guys, you know, Steve Wilfong is feeling like Ohio State's kind of a big leader for him. Um, I think, you know, Greg Biggins feels like Ohio State's a leader, but I don't think he feels like they're a huge leader either. Uh, I haven't really talked to Greg about Mateo Ngale in, 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 a, in like probably two or three weeks, but I never got the sense from him. He was hearing that, uh, you know, Ohio State had this big lead either. Um, but uh, nevertheless, from what I've heard, and, and certainly you know, closer to USC circles, which you're going to get a little more biased opinion, you're going to get a little more optimism. You know, USC feels like they're really in it, and um, they're going to be able to steal them at the end. And so, you know, I, I think they're still within striking range to be able to do that. And we'll see how that plays out as we move towards the early signing period and perhaps beyond. But I feel like this one is definitely coming to a close in the near future. We can. Stop listening to me badly pronounce his last name on this podcast. I mean, I'll still pronounce his name at some point, but uh, at least we'll, we'll, you guys will be uh, uh, without me having to, to to struggle through that, Gerard. That sounds well, nice. Well, you may have to struggle through that if he signs with USC. And yeah, I know. I, I know. But like with at it some still point. ends up in the transfer portal uh, a year or two from now. This is the one thing that's very interesting about this gig. And I was thinking about the other day, and, and I don't think we've talked about this, but I'm thinking of all the names that we have to remember and spell over the course of a year. There are hundreds and hundreds of different names and different names from not just, you know, like different ethnicities and, and, and you know, Polynesian names like Ungalale, you know, Tongan names and the difference between, you know, someone having a Tongan name as opposed to a Samoan name or, you know, maybe a guy like Samu. Maola, uh, Maola, who has a name that's actually, you know, usually mostly by Tongans, but he's actually Samoan. And, and then you have uh, the Nigerian names, um, you know, that we're, we're trying to uh, be able to uh, pronounce. Uh, yeah. And then the names and names off the wall like that. There's so many different names and so many different players. And, and now with you, you have the transfer portal. Um, it's it's a, a whole new batch of names that, you know, you have to know every year. And it's not, you know, just the names, it's also the players themselves. And, you know, uh, you know, Kyron Bars, you know, he's the 6'3", 310 pounds. And, uh, you know, was had this many starts at Arizona. And so it's, it's very interesting. I don't know if there's another uh, trade in which you, you have to know these many names every single year, new names that come up and a new class of, you know, 100, uh, 200 players that uh, are going to get scholarship offers that are going to be recruited that uh, you know have to know the pronunciation of their name and you know know where they're from and, and know their height and weight and uh, you know I was thinking like school teachers every year you know you get different students but you don't have to really know them that well and I don't know that you know at the college level uh, half those professors know any of their students quite frankly by name um, so I don't know it's it's a it's an interesting thing that uh, every year that you know you're, we're always on top of like all these different names all these different new pronunciation of names, you know, like David and, and Jeff and just names that, you know, for, for years and years you grow up and it's like, okay, it's spelled that way, you know, but now it's like, there's all these creative spellings and they're like, oh, okay. His name is John. That's how you pronounce that. Oh, okay. That I haven't seen that before. So uh, it's pretty wild. 
I like to think that you'll be thinking of these names on your deathbed. You'll still be running Uyangilale in your head as you uh, lie around, lie down with your family around you. That, that's well, unfortunately, it might happen, um, you know, before my deathbed. I just may be uh, delusional and, and uh, have Alzheimer's and walking around in the streets uh, in my underwear saying, uh, you know, all these different names. And uh, that would be unfortunate. But uh, hopefully that's not in the near future. Chris. Well, that certainly took a turn. So I'm going to turn us back to not you being in the streets in your underwear, but in-home visits for USC still out on the road. As I mentioned, you know, Lincoln Riley popped over to Baltimore, Maryland to take an in-home visit with Sam Green. But the more interesting one was Zach Hansen taking an in-home visit with Folsom tight end Walker Lyons. USC very much still in the hunt to try to pull in some tight ends for this class. But the big man Hansen in there with Walker Lyons, who did take an official visit to USC for that golden uh, golden hour uh, big summer trip. So... I thought that was an interesting one, Gerard. Yeah, and someone you didn't, uh, you you had a perfect segue here. Uh, someone you didn't mention, but Lincoln Riley also popped up with an in-home last week with Tumiche Adele. Adele, yes. <laughs> that was another name that uh, we were phonically trying to work out. Tumiche Adele, uh, but yes. And their their faces blocked out with emojis, which was, uh, I had someone text me, he's like, is, is that Henson? not Riley. And I was like, no, I know by the head. I know by the shape of their body. I know by the slope of the yeah. way he's throwing up the fight on. I know a Lincoln Riley when I see one, but yeah, that was an interesting one that uh, people were excited about when I tweeted that one out. That was a very interesting one. He was in Texas and I think it was just one of those things. It was like, Hey, you know, might as well do it. it. It's probably the difference of us getting him on campus and not getting on campus because he's a highly sought after guy right now. And that's going to move quickly. So he has, you know, all those official visits basically set up and has got those dates announced, except for the date for USC. So that's a little interesting, you know, with the emojis and the sort of we're keeping it on the low, but not keeping it on the low. And I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to go to this school. And then he has USC in his top four, but hasn't actually announced that official visit date. Um, it's uh, a little curious. It You know, it seems like you know, USC is sort of a dark horse there, but maybe not a dark horse. Yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on, and that would be Michigan State, Miami, Cal, and USC. The Cal one is interesting, but you know, I believe he is of a Nigerian background, and those those degrees mean a lot in that in that family. So that's I, a good I, that's I, a good sign for USC is just the fact that he's looking at education. the West Coast in general, yeah. and, and and you know, open to the West Coast and and those type of schools, and it's not just all. SEC or just, you know, the schools that are local for him and close to home for him. Um, that's a that's a good thing for USC. So, um, yeah, Cal kind of a, a, an interesting pick there. But I think that's also acknowledging that he does take his degree seriously and education seriously. And that's, uh, you know, something, again, that that works in USC's favor as well. Secure the bag at Texas A&M and then maybe go get a high end degree. I don't know, Gerard. It seems like a pretty good plan if you're if you're if you're in those shoes. I don't know. I don't know. Perhaps. Perhaps. But let's transition to. I was going to make a joke there about Nigerian princes, nope, but that would nope, have been. Nope. Uh, let's let's no. keep it. I'm going to cut that probably. I don't know. I'm going to get Moving on to the local four-star cornerback ITs. No, that's not Roderick Pleasant. That's Dalen Austin out of Long Beach Poly LSU commit 
who has been, I guess, flirting with every school since he committed. But USC uh, still in the mix there. Seems like he's going to be taking some official visits in January. I believe he is taking a visit to Louisville uh, this weekend. Interesting. You know, one of the five, four families of NIL. But USC, you know, still been recruiting him very hard. Last time I talked to him, they've still been trying to get him on campus. And it looks like they're going to draw one uh, for January. And maybe it's unofficial. Maybe it's official. But it seems like USC still in the mix for Dalen Austin. Yeah, they're going to be in the mix. I, I just think local. Um, he's got a good relationship with Dante Williams. Uncle is Willie McGinnis. They're going to kind of be there. They've been lingering. They've, they've definitely sort of been sitting back in the cut, you know, sort of just hanging out like, all right, yeah, do the Louisville thing, do the LSU thing. Uh, Oregon was making a big push for him. But Oregon, uh, one of his primary recruiters in the support staff is now at Arizona State. So, you know, there's been there's been movement. There's going to continue to be movement. This is why I, I really hate the early signing period. I just there's so much um, turmoil and change within the college coaching ranks right now. And it's not going to be settled until we really get into like the latter part of January after national championship game. And then you get a week or so behind you. Really, when you get in that February period, you see a much more settled uh, landscape in terms of assistant coaches. Yeah, there's the, 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 the head coaches and everything, but these guys that have changed around, they're still building their staffs. And there's still going to be a bunch of guys that are on staff right now uh, and this goes with the portal as well, but obviously those guys, they have that May window and they can enroll and do things much differently than the high school kids can. So I, I think it puts a lot of pressure on uh, the high school kids at this point in time. They're trying to make a decision and the, the coaches that they're they're talking to may or may not even be at those schools uh, by the time we get into the new year. So it's like you're going to have an early signing period. Make it early. Make it really early. Make it August. OK, make it, you know, at some point in August when the kids are in fall camp or whatever, and, and maybe towards the end of fall camp before they start school. And, and that's when you do it, you know, don't, don't this, this sort of half ass we're kind of an early, but it's not that early. It's just, a, you know, during the holidays and right uh, smack when, you know, all these college coaches are going and, and, you know, even speaking of that with the portal, something that's interesting. Um, and this is, you know, sort of a, a completely, you know what, let's save this. For the next, the next segment, which oh no, I didn't realize was coming up, but this is a perfect little a little tidbit that I did not uh, think about putting in for this segment that I have. So it's a great segue into unsubstantiated rumors, which is something that I'm very hesitant to introduce to the podcast. You should be. We <laughs> should be. This is like for the diehards. This is like pure, unfiltered garbage not garbage it's like fentanyl gerard you can't give them this okay well <laughs> I, I, the, the, I the comparison to fentanyl is a little you have to explain that one but um it is a little unresponsible it's a little bit irresponsible uh, irresponsible not un- irritant, sorry about that uh it's english um it's a little irresponsible it's a little like uh gossipy it's a little like something we would never write because we're professionals and we don't do that, even though other sites like to clickbait people with this stuff. It's I think just worth talking about, right? Because we're just on a podcast. We're just talking. We're a couple bros, you know. And, Cilantro and we, boys. Yeah, and, you know, we're just talking about stuff that ends up on the message board. 
and you know stuff that comes from sources and you're like i don't know how great this source is but they're talking about this and it's out there and eh, kind of interesting so there's a few things that have popped up and uh you know i, I think they're worth just chatting about they're not things that you know i necessarily want the peristylers to get on the board and start new topics about like this is like oh but gerard said this gerard said this this is just you know stuff out there it's just and all the craziness going on you got all these transfers you got guys that are not in the portal that people are talking about are going to be in the portal and uh you know it, it's one of those things it's just uh i think it's uh entertaining this this is the entertaining part of the podcast we have not been entertaining to this point we realize that we come to grips with that we understand that but now I, i'm we're highly offended by that statement but sure go on <laughs> I mean, so, we've kind so of done that. We've kind of done this already, you know. Xavier Worthy, Travion Henderson. We've kind of touched on some of these these big, uh, uh, unsubstantiated rumor kind of stuff. Even though you know Worthy was a little more well, better source than uh, yeah. Than there was just, some smoke coming from yeah. some pretty good sources. More smoke that felt there. Like he was he was going to go out, but you know, one of the interesting because I know Chris is just waiting. He's like, I am not even going to utter any of this stuff i'm leaving the room i'm muting and i'm leaving the room and i'm just letting you go (laughs) so i'm gonna jump head first into this and uh, a little talk about ohio state wide receiver marvin harrison the usc it's been chatted about and listen this is coming from something that colin coward had said and he had made some mentions uh you know out there that uh, usc could be in for like a big wide receiver And there's been some talk, uh, you know, outside of that, where, you know, if USC was going to get a receiver, they're going to get a guy that would replace Jordan Addison. And the bar's been pretty high for that. That's not somebody that you just go grab some dude who is a former four star and, you know, he had 50 catches last year. I mean, that's a Blitnikoff winner that you're replacing. So, you know, Marvin Harrison's name has been floated out there. A few times, Marvin Harrison Jr., not Marvin Harrison that played for the Colts, but his son. Now, he's at Ohio State. He's there with C.J. Stroud. I believe C.J. Stroud uh, still has another season at Ohio State. I I can't even actually remember. I'm blanking on whether C.J. Stroud uh, had a redshirt year um, at Ohio State or not. Chris, pull that up as I'm talking. Um, But uh, I got you. uh, But you know, there's 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 always you know that kind of chatter of of maybe. Uh, you know, Brian, um, Brian Hartling, who's been uh, uh, just one of the most monster recruiters in the country, regardless of position, but specifically the wide receiver position. I mean, they just got Jeremiah Smith, the five star wide receiver out of Florida in 2024. He just committed while we were doing this podcast. So more fuel to your 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 heartland pitch right now. Heartland. Yeah, our heartland has been absolutely dominant. I mean, beyond even the point of T. Martin, who was a beast recruiter for USC uh, at the wide receiver position. So, you know, there's some chatter, like, you know, maybe he gets a shot to go be a coach somewhere else. You know, there's a lot of schools that are mid-majors that would love to bring in a former NFL guy that's been uh, a part of some very successful staffs and and never been a head coach and and never been a coordinator, uh, to my knowledge, uh, but nevertheless could be a guy that would be a great recruiter for them and be able to get them some talent. And so it's just a lot of chatter about potentially if some of that stuff happens, you know, maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. would uh, would make a jump into the portal 
and he does have a relationship with Caleb Williams uh, from the recruiting process. And so it's one of those things. There's only so many guys out there that are Bolitnikov finalists. There are only so many guys out there uh, that uh, sort of uh, are at the standard of a Jordan Addison. And if, um, you know, USC's waiting around, they haven't offered anybody. We talked about Caden Prather. He's a very good player that uh, if you're just looking for a good guy, a, a good wide receiver out of the portal, you know, maybe USC would be a little more active there, but um, you know, maybe they're waiting. So that's, that's sort of an unsubstantiated rumor that's been floated out there. Um, you know, to some extent, uh, certainly not anybody that's really named names so much. It's just sort of uh, what's the profile fit uh, of the rumor of that USC is going to go after a guy that uh, is going to be of the elk of Jordan Addison. Um, another kind of shroud played as Three seasons. He only played in three games as a true freshman. Okay. Okay. So. So. Yeah. Okay. So. So. Yeah. He is probably off to the NFL. Yeah. He's. Um, he's, he's gone. He's not coming back as a junior. I. I for whatever reason just was kind of brain farting there and, and not 100 percent sure. But um, so you know you're going to lose your quarterback. You know Ohio State. We'll see what happens. They, you know obviously don't have Quinn Ears there anymore. And that was supposed to be the guy that was going to take over. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, they're going to have to either go on the portal, kind of try to find somebody. You know, can they have? Are they going to find somebody that's you know Heisman level type of guy? Because that's where Stroud was the last two years. He was a finalist for the Heisman, so that's going to be tough to find. And so you know, part of that's on the roster, Gerard. It's already on the roster. They got Devin Brown, baby. He's ready. Yeah. So they're going to have to find that guy, and um, you know, we'll see if that happens with the portal. And and obviously, I think more to it, it would have to be. I think Brian Hartline would have to be. Uh, looking and maybe jump into another job to see Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, go to the portal. It's just a uh, very well-established player there at Ohio State, and um, you just don't see that very much. You know, Jordan Addison was a surprise to many people, but you're leaving Pitt and you're losing your quarterback, and, I mean, he saw the writing on the wall. You know, they were hanging their hopes on Keaton Slovis, and he'd watch film at Keaton Slovis, and obviously that was not exciting to him, and so he jumped in the portal for that. And again, another guy, Maryland guy. So he had a relationship with uh, Caleb Williams. So, you know, you kind of you kind of can connect the dots in some of these things. But again, unsubstantiated rumor, but a fun thing to kind of ponder if uh, USC were to just throw another guy like that into the, <laughs> to the mix at wide receiver position. I mean, it, it, they don't necessarily need it. But, you know, did they necessarily need Jordan Addison uh, to have a good offense last year? Not really. It made their offense better. And he was a very good player for them, um, but uh, you know, kind of puts you over the top when you're able to uh, just put a, a cherry, you know, on that uh, on that icing for uh, the wide receiver position. If they're able to do that two years running, you know, it'd be uh, it'd be quite amazing. Another kind of juicy sort of and eh, not really substantiated rumor uh, is David Bailey. So you know, we've talked about David Bailey a lot on this podcast, and. You know, a lot of people have been waiting for David Bailey to end up in the portal. A bunch of his teammates have ended up in the portal. Obviously, uh, David Shaw resigning, stepping down, being fired, whatever you want to call it, at Stanford. Uh, there has still not been a move at Stanford. We really haven't heard a whole lot about Stanford in the coaching situation there. And so that staff is, is basically still there, you know. And from what I understand, you know, that staff and wherever they end up, they're they're going to try to recruit David Bailey. So 
you know, they're they're trying to get him to sit tight right now. Uh, basically, you know, the assistant staff is like, hey, you know, we might still be here. Um, and when we go somewhere, and again, this is where the whole, you know, tampering, not tampering thing comes in. You're going to get some calls from those coaches uh, wherever they end up. So there's definitely been some talk behind the scenes. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, David, David just doesn't really know what to make of it right now in terms of like, you know, what, what's the staff that's going to come in, what's the defense they're going to run, what's going to look like, is he going to have any kind of relationship with those coaches? Like it's all sort of up in the air. And, and we saw him during the recruiting process. He was down to USC and Stanford really early on in the process. I mean, S- September, he was down to USC and Stanford. He knew he was going to go to one of those schools. UCLA was kind of in there, but not really. And so, you know, he went through the process and Clay Helton had been fired at that point. Um, you know, the, the, the coaching staff was, was recruiting him, but they knew that they were going to be around probably. And so he still sat back and waited. You know, he wanted to see what was going to happen with USC, what kind of relationship he was going to have with that coaching staff. I think he was hoping potentially that, you know, the coaches at USC that he had a relationship with, Tartar Lando and some of the other coaches would be kept on, I think. And I think that is what is going on in Stanford right now. I think he's just kind of hoping some of those coaches on the defensive side of the ball that he has a relationship with are retained. I, I think relationships and familiarity are very important to him. That That's me speaking. That's my speculation. But the chances of him ending up in the porthole are still decent. I, I'm still getting the vibe that that could happen. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, what's going to happen at Stanford. And then he can kind of go, okay, this is, this is what it is. It's a new staff, whatever. And then he's going to make that decision there. So um, that's an interesting one, you know, in terms of, you know, why is he not in the portal yet? Is he still going to enter the portal? Is he fine? You know, I, I, I think if David Shaw and that staff was still there, I think there would be a very good chance, chance that he would have stayed at Stanford, even with the terrible year that they've had. But that change in coaching staff and the potential that, you know, the defensive staff is out and they bring somebody else in. Um, that's, that's gonna, that's gonna be something that we're gonna have to watch. I think that could definitely shake him loose from that roster. Uh, the last but not least, and, and most outrageous thing, uh, that, that kind of came across, which was just a sort of water cooler conversation was the, um, the relationship that Tony Grimes has with one former five-star offensive tackle, Zach Rice. And, uh, you know, Zach Rice is, uh, I think the number one rated, uh, offensive tackle in that class. I think that he was number one, five-star off to tackle in the 2020 class. Uh, they have a very good relationship and Zach Rice, uh, you know, going to UNC had a lot to do with Tony Grimes. Uh, there was a, you know, a, sort of a family connection there and what have you. So there's been a little chatter that, you know, maybe Zach Rice might look around uh, and, and, and might be a guy that could uh, potentially, um, you know, jump in the portal. Uh, I, I don't really know you know, eligibility-wise, where, where where he is in terms of uh, NFL eligibility, I think technically he would be eligible, but I just I don't know off the top of my head. But it was one of those things that um, you know was kind of put out there as a guy that's like, yeah, you know, I mean, that's I I, I don't know what he's you know really done at uh, UNC. I had not followed North Carolina kind of what you know whatsoever. I know that the you know they've they've got the quarterback there, the young freshman that was uh, talked about as a Heisman potential. He's a he's a freshman. This was his freshman year. Zach Rice. Yeah. 
Okay, so he was he's in the following class from from Tony Grimes. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's each. Okay, but they were they were very close. Um, Both from Virginia kind of area. Yeah, I, I I I remember there was there was actually some some chatter. I for some reason thought they were a part of the same class because I thought they took visits together. Oh, but they did. It was because Tony Grimes reclassified. Yeah, that's why I'm screwing that up. Okay, so. That's that's this, that's why I'm confused there. Um, so yeah, so there's a little little chatter there, an unsubstantiated, total nonsense. Just um, you know, that would be interesting. That would be very interesting if a guy like that jumped in the portal. I don't know, Chris Trevino. Tell me because you probably have his uh, bio pulled up right now. What's his starting? snaps look like what you know what's he doing at unc right now is he a guy that's amazing he's is he is he the every every star that he, they thought he was going to be or has he been disappointing tell me give me the whole <laughs> scouting report on zach rice like we like we really need it because i've know. i've been trying to figure that out i don't it's hard to know about offensive linemen because you don't right. necessarily get stats like you know regular unless stuff. i have oh, pff i don't have pff so it's like yeah he's got this many uh you know catches or this many tackles or what have you, you know, you don't get that with offensive linemen. So basically you're just trying to figure out, you know, did he start? Does he have snaps? I'm such a casual, I've been called out as a casual college football fan. Uh, but yeah, I have not watched a whole lot of uh, UNC uh, this year. And and I do not know uh, what Zach Rice has done. And again, you know, it could be nothing. I mean, listen, last year we had guys like, uh, you know, Mason Smith, a lot of people talked about was going to jump in the portal. Um, Darnell Washington, the uh, tight end from Georgia. I mean, that was actually sourced. I mean, the, the Georgia guys that I was talking with were saying, yeah, he's probably going to end up there after spring ball. I mean, people expected that to happen. Um, Brian Breesey was a little bit of a, a little bit of an outside type of thing that I kind of heard uh, behind closed doors, you know, a connection to Caleb Williams and that he might jump into the portal. So there's a lot of these things that come up that just they don't pan out, you know, and, and uh, some of them are more like out there and then some of them are, are, are more reasonable, you know, like Darnell Washington. I think with the SEC schools, particularly what you've seen is that they do a good job of retention. I mean, we talked about this with Alabama, Alabama, not a lot of guys leave Alabama, even with all the transfers they've had out. Not a lot of guys leave Alabama that Alabama really wants. OK, um, you know, with Texas A&M been a little different. I know. With Adele, that's a guy that they didn't want to lose, right? Some of the other guys that have left, they're like, hey, you know what? We need to shake loose this roster. We got some guys that are bad cultural fits. They weren't broken up about losing those players. And so you always kind of want to do that. I mean, I, I think, you know, with the Parastylers, and if you're subscribed to USCfootball.com, shameless plug, and you've got that annual subscription, you're able to jump over to some of those message boards and you see the reaction from the fan base. When a guy enters the portal, you know, when it's Raylan Goforth, the, the, the UCLA fans and the, the Oklahoma fans or whoever, you know, that might be looking at Raylan Goforth, the first thing they're going to do is jump over to the peristyle and go, what did they think about Raylan Goforth? Because they didn't watch every snap of USC football. They weren't, you know, focused in uh, with the laser sight on how Raylan Goforth played uh, as a uh, rotational player for USC at linebacker. But you'll know right away from the opening thread, not a guy that USC fans were particularly high on, even though he didn't have a lot of injuries and it wasn't a guy that, you know, necessarily had those type of issues, um, you know, on the field or off the field. It just 
you know, production wise, th there was there was something uh, that uh, it just didn't click with him for whatever reason. And so you always want to know that, you know, it's like it's the, the fan base uh, that 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 player, you know, the school he's leaving. Does that fan base, you know, really feel broken up about him leaving or is it like, eh, you know, whatever? You know, the guy just never really just didn't, didn't really do anything here. I mean, I, I would say with this with UNC and their fan base. I popped over just to kind of see what they were talking about with Tony Grimes. And I mean, their overall feeling was like, you know, he was just overhyped and he didn't play as well. But, you know, I, I, again, I, you know, expectations, a freshman corner, you, you got to keep them in check. And um, I think he played very early on and, and um, you know, took some, took some bumps. I think it was just, you know, the, the development over the years of, of him and, and him getting better from that freshman point. They didn't see it there. So they weren't necessarily all that broken up. But like I said, a guy like Adele, you know, Texas A&M fans. And I know beyond that point, you know, even the coaching staff didn't want to see him leave. And so those are those type of players. So don't really know a whole lot about, um, you know, how Zach Rice has actually played. Like you said, the, the PFF uh, ratings would, would help you a little bit in that. Um, it says that he has played in two games this year. Two games this year, so eh, you know we'll see. We'll Played see. Like ten you know. snaps in the opener, and that was it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. You know, you would see a, kind of an odd team this year. You know, very up and down uh, with how they played, and uh, they've recruited well, and they've had some guys that just haven't panned out. And you know, when you see that across the board, you know that's another thing. You know, I, I'm always big on production, right? Production begets production. That's that's what we've seen from the transfer portal the last year or two uh, the guys that are starting at other schools the guys that are seeing meaningful snaps and have some production from them from uh, those snaps at those schools they have in turn been good players for usc mostly you know mostly across the board uh and the guys that you bring in that are the former five-star whatever but haven't played any whether because of injuries or some kind of other reason you have to kind of question Now, certainly, you know, freshman year, one year in the program, you can't, it, it's, it's hard to make that, uh, that assessment as to, you know, whether they were just a bust or what, you know, that's, that's tough. But when you see a pattern of guys that are quote unquote bust, that's usually an issue with player development and the coaching staff, right? Who, and Trojan fans know that as well as any other fan base across the nation with the Clay Helton staff, you know, the, the many different staffs that he's had and, it's uh, good players coming and 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 coming in hot as five stars and guys players and then leaving as un you know signed free agents for the NFL. That's 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 not a good sign when you see that sort of pattern of things. So I don't know if that's what we're seeing at North Carolina, um, but uh, certainly you know they were not uh, uh, super super uh, broken up about Tony Grimes leaving um, for for for. Kind of ambiguous reasons. I never, I didn't really get. I just got the sense that you know he he didn't get a lot better. Like they thought, you know, freshman year, okay, you take your lumps. Then sophomore year, he played a little better. I think he got, you know, like I said, honorable mention, um, all SEC. And this year was supposed to be the breakout year, and it didn't happen. And so they were just disappointed. Um, so you know, we'll see if uh, you know he ends up signing with USC. Well, not signing, but committing to USC. Transfers don't really sign. They sign, um, you know. Uh, financial aid and what have you, but it's not like a letter of intent, but he ends up uh, enrolling at USC, I should say more accurately, um, if he's able to you know, have the year that Mekhi Blackman did. I mean, Mekhi Blackman at, at Colorado was okay. He, he, was, he, was a, he was a decent player, but 
man, when he transferred in, I said this last week, I was like, I think, you know, Jacoby Covington, uh, maybe um, Prophet Brown. There's some guys on that roster that USC has that I think might be more talented, you know, just physically more talented than Makai Blackman is. And he proved me wrong. I mean, Makai Blackman was a was a really good player, played himself into the draft, in my opinion. Um, and, and that's a, a, a sort of a notch in the belt for Dante Williams and player development. You know, that that was a, a he got much better at USC than he was at Colorado, in my opinion, and, and went beyond even potential, the ceiling that I thought he would have at USC. And so, you know, maybe Tony Grimes is able to do that. Tony Grimes, you know, physically as a player, uh, you know, faster, stronger, a bit more twitchy. Um, you know, maybe he's able to make, uh, you know, a big jump like that. I still think we set a dangerous precedent with this segment, but I know they're going to. I know they're going to. I know they're going to love it. I'm going to get a bunch of hate in the comments. I'm already prepared for that, but I was just saying. I was just saying. I mean, not from Trojan fans. No, I said I'm going to get hate for trying to to stop you. No, I wasn't actually. I wasn't actually going to stop you, but I'm going to get hate for being like you. Let him do this. Don't you dare. For being a speed bump on uh, the 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 oval, I guess, right? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know talking a little David Bailey, a little Marvin Harrison, you know. I mean, it's, it, listen, we're not pulling this completely out of our backsides here. This is stuff that I mean, I don't know if anybody's really talked about Zach Rice, but certainly the relationship, um, you know, with with Zach and his family, and Tony Grimes and and his family, I think is pretty known. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not here on the West coast, but certainly anybody who was recruiting Zach Rice knew that, you know, the, the Grimes was definitely going to be a factor just because of, you know, how close they were. And they took, uh, I think business together, you know, before Tony Grimes actually reclassified. So yeah, there's, um, there's a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess you could say precedent set for the connection that they have. Um, and you know, and we'll see if that leads to anything, you know, with, with Grimes leaving UNC. And with that, let's move into the listener questions. As always, you can email us at podcast.com. Just make sure you put the composite recruiting podcast, Cilantro Boys, 10K Hurricane, whatever you want to do to identify us. It will go to my mailbox. So that's podcast.usfield.com. Gerard, don't have a ton of questions. We got four. So let's run through these. This one is specifically for you, Gerard. Rich in SD, Gmart, when USC offers a kid, how much do you think it's strategic versus need, or is it a balance of both, meaning able to get a kid from Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, or New Jersey just to say that you can pull kids from there? That's a good question. That's, um, you know, this staff I don't think has really done that. I, I don't get the sense that they're trying to make a lot of statement recruiting moves uh Edardron was <laughs> was Edardron and Lane Kiffin were both kind of known for sometimes you know going out there and reaching and trying to get a guy uh, to say they got a guy from that region you know and, and maybe to some extent there's strategy there because you're trying to get uh, a footprint in that area you know you're trying to get a a little bit of traction it's dangerous though. You know, you can, you can end up with a guy, maybe you go and and you get a a three-star guy. That's not a big time player, but you're trying to get into that circle of athletes in that region, right? You're trying to get a relationship with the trainer in that region or what have you. Um, 
you know, we talked about this, <clears throat> excuse me, with, uh, with Trey Davis, the former cornerback from Washington that USC had committed, you know, Johnny Nansen went up there and they were trying to make a move with, um, with blue chip FSP, um, the training group up there run by Tracy Ford. And they took a guy that was a reach, but they thought, well, you know, we're taking a guy and, and, and it'll, you know, get us a player. And then, you know, that'll sort of, uh, end up being one of these things where, because we had that player here, the, the, the kids that are a part of that group will have more interest in what he's doing. And then they'll come down and unofficially visit. And maybe he'll have some sway with some of the other players, more talented players from that group. Uh, that wasn't really the case with Julian Simon. He was just a good player and he was part of uh, Tracy Ford's group. But with Trey Davis, that was absolutely a reach by USC. There was no way he was playing at USC. They were just kind of trying to make a strategic move that they thought might create some type of pipeline. So there is always that aspect of recruiting. I think with this staff, they've been pretty much straight up on, we like this guy and we need this guy. And that's the guy we're going to recruit. I haven't seen many, you know, sort of splash offers or splash moves. It's kind of hard these days to make splash offers because everybody offers everybody anyways. You know, back in the, the days when Pete Carroll, when, you know, Lang was a young uh, recruiting coordinator slash receivers coach and Ed was a recruiting coordinator and defensive line coach. You, you, you didn't offer everybody, you know, you really only offered the guys that you were thinking about trying to get in on official visits. So if you did go across the country and you just, you know, offered a couple guys in the region, it was a big deal, you know, but now it's like you go across the country and you offer guys just to offer guys, you know? So you know, potentially, I know that people would look at maybe Sam Green as that type of player where you go out there and you get a guy, he's a three-star, he's not, you know, particularly highly rated, but you know that you want to try to create a footprint of sorts and a pipeline of sorts into St. Francis. But we talked about this in the past. Sam Green is not a St. Francis guy through and through. He transferred there this year. He hasn't been there for four years. So he's not necessarily like you know, Shane Lee would probably be a bit more of a St. Francis guy, quote unquote, that would allow you to maybe pull in some more players. And certainly, you know, Caleb and, uh, you know, Jordan Addison, those guys being on the team, you know, Caleb's a DMV guy. So just in general, USC does have a bit of a footprint there because they have players on the team that are successful and they're doing well. And those players from that region see that and they want to do well. And they want to go to a school where they can find a home where they can be successful. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, that's it's not really what they're doing with Sam Green. I think they, they saw Sam Green flash on film and he's very much an Alex Grinch type of defensive lineman. And I know people are, uh, you know, they don't like me to say this, but it's a, sort of the small ball defensive lineman that's super agile, super quick, um, really makes a lot of moves based on movement in terms of like, you know, doing a lot of stunting and, and, a, and a lot of like sort of counter pulling on the defensive line. You know, you talk about the GT counters that USC uses on the offensive line, it's kind of funny to think about it on the, on the switch side where, you know, Alex Grinch has kind of been known for, you know, TC stunts and twist stunts where he's taken a guy out of his gap. And he's, he's basically, it's a shell game of defensive linemen, which gap they're going to attack. And one will stunt and go to another gap from the gap that he lined up on and he'll switch with another guy. So it's like the offense that USC is doing that. And the defense is sort of known for doing that. They didn't do a super ton of that this year they did more of the sort of 
zero blitzing with the defensive lines going to coverage uh, where you had, you know, Tweet Pelotu ending up as a linebacker and he's kind of sort of freelancing from the, from almost like a middle linebacker spot, depending on where he's going to attack, you know, he's going to go a gap. Is he going to go B gap or whatever? Um, they did a lot of that kind of stuff, but I didn't see a whole lot of like twisting stunts and things like that uh, technique wise. Um, so, you know, Sam Green definitely fits that though. He's definitely that sort of agile, mobile, yet a little undersized type of guy. Um, whether that's, you know, the future of USC, that's, that's you know, kind of what Alex Grinch had done at Oklahoma and got criticized. But whether that's the future at USC or they bring in more guys like, you know, Keon Bars. Keon Bars is not really one of those guys. Now, he is quick and he is somewhat agile, but he's you know, 6'3", 310. He's, uh, he's a bigger guy. He's a bigger species type of guy. And so, um, you know, a different player certainly at this stage of the game than Sam Green is. So to answer your question, I not with this staff thus far. We may see it in the future. This is first cycle. Uh, but thus far, I haven't really gotten that vibe. I think they sort of genuinely like the guys and pursued the guys um, that uh, they have on, on, on the offer list. And certainly the guys that they brought in for official visits having seen like this, you know, sporadic offers and, and maybe offering a bunch of guys in a, in a region and, and even guys that you go, eh, they don't really want that guy. They're just trying to make a statement offer or taking a commitment from somebody that is just sort of a statement commitment that you go, wow, okay. Now, I think the statements that this coaching staff wants to make is is getting good players and getting guys that can actually, uh, that, that can help the team. Next question comes from someone who stole my name, Chris. Why has Grinch been absent from recent home visit pictures? It's been Riley and Odom. What does this mean? Does this mean we have a shot at Jim Leonard? Not that I think Grinch should be fired because it is a one. It is one year and we improve from four and eight. But I feel Leonard would be an improvement, has more knowledge of the Big Ten over the Grinch. Thanks. This could have gotten into unsubstantiated rumors here. The little, uh, um, you know, uh, Jim Leonard. (laughs) Jim Leonard. Which I've, I've heard, I mean, I've heard nothing about that. I don't think that's happening. I, I don't think Grinch is going anywhere this year. Uh, I think he's the defensive coordinator, and he has been out at, at, at some uh, visits, but I just don't think he's going to be, you know, out and about as much as you're going to see with uh, some of the position coaches. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, with safeties, you know, who, who's on the board that they're recruiting at safety? Tyler Scott is a safety. Um, don't think they've thinking. done an in-home visit yet with there, so no, I don't. I don't think so. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a matter of his position. There's not a whole lot of guys on the board that they're recruiting, and he's a defensive coordinator, so he's you know he's he's going to be probably present as we get you know towards like this this last week and what have you. I think maybe towards the end of the week you'll see a little more of that. Um, I think this is the last week for in-home visits. I don't think you can take in-home visits next week. Um, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but um, quote him. Yeah. What was that? I said quote him. Oh, okay. I, sometimes you talk and I, I, I get the end of what you're saying. I don't hear quote him. So, uh, yeah, uh, we did see him um, down at the St. John Bosco practice with uh, Mateo Ungalale, and uh, I think they had an in-home visit uh, that followed up from that. Uh, so, you know, he's, he, he's, he's been around, you know, he's been around and, and I wouldn't worry too much about that. I know, uh, worry is probably not the right word, but worry is not the right word for the Trojan fans. Uh, but, uh, nevertheless, yeah, I, I, my, my expectation, I mean, I've heard nothing to suggest that there's going to be, uh, you know, moves, uh, with the defensive staff, uh, unless, you know, somebody gets a, 
a coordinator job or something, you know, that, that, you know, maybe Odom gets looked at as a coordinator or what have you, but um, there's been uh, n- nothing that's uh, really, you know, worth mentioning. And, and certainly I, I think that Grinch definitely has another, another season. For sure. Uh, and our final two questions come from D from the central Valley. As always, D is a two man questionnaire. Uh, first one, number one, can you give us a comp for Jamil Muhammad? I believe you did that at the top of the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, um, a, a comparison of like another player specifically. Ooh, God, those are always so hard to do off the top of your head. Like, I compared him with Josiah Stewart and how they were different, but I didn't give a comparison uh, as to you know a, a player that um, you know. It's funny. <laughs> I mean, I I actually thought because he's wearing number nine, I was thinking of Rash- uh, Rashad Davis when he played on the outside uh, for modern day, um, sort of a, a similar type of player. But obviously, Rashawn Davis is now playing inside linebacker for USC and has not played a lot of snaps to the ire of Trojan fans. And, uh, you know, I would have liked to see him get some more snaps, uh, you know, uh, down the line. And, I mean, what the coaches say, it's practice, practice, practice. It's how you're performing in practice is whether you play in the games. Uh, so that's been the reasoning for that. Um, but um, Kind of, kind of, you know, similar, uh, you know, coming out of high school, uh, Rashawn Davis was, uh, I think, as an edge rusher. But, you know, at that point in time in high school, as we talked already, Jamil Muhammad was a quarterback. So, you know, the quarterback thing, it definitely adds a little different dimension as an edge rusher. Now, you said at the top that, you know, USC was was getting better on the interior of, of, of the line. I do not expect Muhammad to play inside linebacker. Now, we have to get, you know, verification from him uh, as to, you know, what the actual position USC sees him playing at. Uh, they also, you know, somebody that we forgot to talk about, just reminded myself, is Trevion Brown was also on campus for a visit for USC, which I would assume that was an official visit. I'm not 100% sure I actually have to, to, to follow up on that, but he was on campus as well. And that is an actual Mike inside linebacker that USC is recruiting. So my expectation is to see Jamil Muhammad on the edge playing outside. So um, different, different styles of players. Um, Travion Brown also uh, would go back in that unsubstantiated rumor segment, very close with Ben Coleman. And what I had originally heard that, you know, Travion Brown was going to visit uh, and, he, and he might visit with Ben Coleman and Ben Coleman's a very good interior uh, offensive lineman from Cal who's in the transfer portal. Uh, I think he's like six, five, uh, 310, um, a big guy who has also played a little right tackle for Cal. Uh, one of their better players, you know, started 22 games for Cal. And so, you know, he has not acknowledged a scholarship offer from USC yet. Travion Brown did and then deleted it off of Twitter. So we were a little kind of like not sure what the heck was going on with him. Uh, but um, he graduated from Washington State University, got his diploma last weekend. And this week was on campus, uh, taking, uh, I believe, an official visit with USC. And so another guy that, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if uh, USC is able to rein him in. He would be somebody that they're helping kind of like fortify the middle of the defense because he's more of a, in my opinion, more of a, a middle linebacker, inside linebacker, whereas uh, Jamil Mohammed is uh, going to probably be an edge guy that's uh, taken over for Solomon Bird if he leaves uh, for the NFL. Uh, or, uh, you know, uh, maybe Nick Figueroa, you know, they, they, they mixed and matched those rush ends so much this past year. And certainly, you know, you've got Corey Foreman there who everybody's hoping takes that next big step. 
And uh, you got Romelo Height, who, you know, was the penciled in start. Well, it wasn't just penciled in. He did start the first two games of the season, but then gets injured and has that shoulder injury. You know, that so- those shoulder injuries sometimes can, can be uh, hard to shake. So we'll see if, uh, you know, he's able to come back and make a, a full recovery for next season. And the final question is, GM recently had a defensive portal target list. If you guys had to predict, what two players do you think sign with USC? Thanks to both of you for your great work. Kenyon Bars and Jamil Muhammad. Wow, 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 wow. Took in the easy way out. That's and then we just got out of a segment where I was just riffing on some, some yeah. crazy, crazy rumors. Crazy rumors swirling around. That's fair. That's fair. And we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Um, I think that is a good place to end. But I did want to very quickly, Gerard, just do you have anything to say about Caleb Williams winning the Heisman Trophy? Is there anything yeah. you want to say? <laughs> how, how will that impact recruiting? I think people are interested to hear your thoughts. I'm assuming you're going to go for 40 minutes, so I'm going to go get a sandwich. No, no, because we talked about it before he won the Heisman Trophy. We said he's going to win the Heisman Trophy, and you know this is the ultimate impact of the Heisman Trophy, and certainly the way he's played on the field, dynamic, exciting. You know, you 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 go back to Reggie Bush and Matt Leiner and those two Heisman Trophy winners. In the modern day of college football, they still get mentioned from kids that were I don't even know how old they were. I mean, some of them might not have even been born. And they're talking about, yeah, Reggie Bush at USC. So, you know, I mean, you could go back to the sanctions and what the NCAA did to USC, stripping their scholarships uh, because of Reggie Bush's impact, you know, trying to equate scholarships with Reggie Bush's impact. And so that's huge for USC, uh, more, you know, down the line than even this year. I mean, it, it, it helped certainly the way he played, lock in uh, Malachi Nelson. And uh, that was big, you know, but Malachi Nelson's gotten a little bit of criticism uh, because of how he played against modern day or, or, or maybe, you know, American heritage or what have you. And we said then, you know, Los Al's not ready for those teams yet. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit unfair, uh, you know, with that offensive line and everything, you know, he's dealing with uh, to, to try to uh, put too much on his performances uh, against those particular teams, but certainly in general, you know, it's, it's a big get for USC to be able to have a five-star guy, one of the top players in the country, lined up, you know, ready to come in and take a red shirt, okay? Take a red shirt under Caleb Williams. Uh, that's, that's huge, you know? I mean, next spring, you're going to have Malachi Nelson there under the tutelage, under the mentorship of Caleb Williams. And that's just going to be very big for USC when they get to the 2024 season and you're going to the big whatever, And uh, you're going to have to play a schedule that's going to be much more difficult and potentially have a redshirt freshman starting, you know. So, you know, everybody was all up in arms about that when uh, he was uh, visiting Texas A&M and freaking out. And then, uh, you know, once he's kind of secured and uh, reaffirmed his commitment, it's like, oh, okay, now we can criticize him. You know, that's that's that's, fortunately that's the way it works on message boards and and fandom and social media, etc. But nevertheless. Uh, with Caleb Williams, that's an impact, you know, immediately, but certainly we're going to see a much bigger impact down the line. Now, USC as a team has to follow up. And I thought, you know, the best thing of, of that speech that Caleb Williams gave was the fact that he pointed out that the other finalists were going to the college football playoff and he wasn't. And so that shows, you know, that goal is still there. That team goal 
is still there. And that's where ultimately, you know, Heisman's are amazing. They're, they're awesome. They, they help recruit for sure. They have a big recruiting impact, but uh, you know, there's also the bigger goal of winning national championships. And that's what Lincoln Riley was brought in to do. And um, you know, it's good that, you know, that's, that's the goal for, for Caleb Williams next year. Uh, but this team has to get better. It has to upgrade. Um, you know, maybe the defense plays better next year, just, you know, schematically, they, they kind of understand the defense better. Maybe the, the coaching staff understands the personnel better, what have you. The defense has got to get better, but, you know, the offensive line's got to get a little better. Um, you know, they, they've got to be a little better, I think, running the ball consistently. Uh, they got to be a little more physical. You know, that was that that's the thing. That was the good and the bad coming away. It just, you know, it sort of truncate that game. You know, we did the, the recruiting angle with uh, with the Utah game last week, but you know, the, the, the short and the long of it is that you got to be more physical. You got your ass whooped up front by Utah. Uh, and, and in the first game, not, not so much, but in the second game, you definitely did. And that was a Utah team that had already seen your offense. They already seen Caleb Williams. And I think they were just dialed in a little better. That's what next season is maybe going to be like more for the offense. So somebody else is going to have to step up. There's going to have to be wrinkles. There's going to have to be changes. You can only prepare, prepare so much for a guy like Caleb Williams, but the target will be on the bat, on his back. Every defensive coordinator in the conference, every defensive coordinator that has USC in the schedule next year is going to look at his tendencies, which way he wants to, 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 to run, uh, how he throws uh, accuracy-wise, running one side of the field to the other side of the field. You know What routes does he like to go to when he runs to that particular side of the field? What routes do they check to in a particular – uh, look of the defense. If you look like you're going to blitz, what they're they're going to know everything about him. They're going to tr try to diagnose everything that that offense does with Caleb Williams. So you you have to change it up if you're Lincoln Riley, but you also have to just be tight in what you do well, and you have to get better at those positions that were exploited by other teams over the course of the season. And particularly, I mean, I think losing that game to Utah the way they lost it. You know, it's it's a it hits home. You know, the the tropes of Lincoln Riley coming away from Oklahoma, you know, uh, passing the ball and being a finesse offense and being a finesse team just in general, and, and getting kind of uh, pushed around in the in the college football playoffs when you start to play elite teams, that raised its ugly head in that game. So you know, it's just emphasis that you know gotta gotta improve in, in those areas, the the areas that we thought USC would eventually be very good at. Nobody predicted the season they were going to have this year. They had a fantastic season, but they were great at the things that we knew Lincoln Riley was great at. You know, they were, they were very sort of much like the Oklahoma teams. You know, they did a lot of those good things. It's uh, it's the other things, you know, that they didn't necessarily show consistently at Oklahoma that they got to get better at USC. So first year, you got it under your belt. Fantastic year. You got a Heisman Trophy winner. Um, crazy. You know, you're going to play for a Cotton Bowl. You don't play for a Cotton Bowl. You know, you can get a Cotton Bowl out of this. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, they got to finish the year strong, obviously, and that Utah game is is, is lingering there. But uh, you don't want to lose to Tulane because that definitely um, is taking some steps back. And that just hangs over your head for the whole offseason. So congratulations to, to Caleb Williams. Um, and uh, congratulations to Chris. What did you get on your sandwich? Uh, pepperoni. And pepperoni spinach. on a sandwich? Pepperoni and spinach. That's my order. And with that, uh, great show, Gerard. Great ending point. Uh, talking about Caleb Williams, first Heisman winner out of the DMV. Let's go. Uh, so thank you for ending on that note. 
What does that mean to you, Mr. Swim Coach? You must have been. Were you like a proud papa? Were you tearing up uh, when he was getting that Heisman Trophy? There was a bunch of onions being cut in my household, but only because they were going on my pepperoni and spinach sandwich raw. But in all seriousness, you know, very, very proud. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I do have a connection with Caleb, so it was very cool to see. Very proud for the region and for Washington, D.C. and the DMV to finally have a Heisman winner, given all the talent that has been produced out of there, known for, you know, being a basketball region. But just as much, you know, we put out talent uh, at the college and NFL level for football. So nice to have that that little that bullet point for the DMV resume, having a Heisman winner come out of that area. So proud in that sense, you know. Proud that, you know, he he was able to win it and bring it home. So, yeah, it was a very surreal night to just watch that. And someone I literally remember, like, staring at as a little kid in the pool, like, go go do your 500 free warm-up. Let's go. Let's go. It's morning practice. Let's get moving. So, very surreal, very cool. And, yeah, just a, just a great night to uh, watch. And great night for the program in terms of, you know, being eight Heiser winners deep, number one in the country. So, very cool. Yeah. I mean, you, you, that's, that it sells itself. I mean, really. And, it, and being that. I mean, the one aspect of this is different than Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush is that he's not a local player. He's a guy getting a Heisman Trophy from the DMV, which is a talent-rich area, an area that USC would love to cherry-pick top players from every year. So, you know, you're getting, um, you're getting a little different dimension, you know, from recruiting from that standpoint and being able to come in uh, year one. And, you know, he, there's just some criticism and, and some, some backlash, which, you know, uh, pundits on TV and what have you, they always got to sort of take that contrarian approach to try to get viewership and clicks. But this idea that, uh, you know, uh, Lincoln Riley has just inherited good players and what have you, you know, he, he inherited Baker Mayfield, who was not a good player. <laughs> I mean, he was a guy that was a walk on at Texas Tech. It was, it was not like the guy that he ended up being leaving Oklahoma. Um, Caleb Williams was recruited by Lincoln Riley. You know, he's, he's even though he's a transfer, he, he Lincoln Riley had a lot of balls. We always talk about big balls, Pete, right? Um, that was uh, uh, some lore of the peristyle that uh, you were not familiar with, Chris. Uh, but you are now. We've had that conversation. I'm very aware of big balls. Carol's big balls. I'm very aware. But but Lincoln Riley had some big balls to say. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna start Caleb Williams. Uh, Spencer Radler is not getting the job done. Um, not a good locker room guy for me, I think, which I saw. I'll tell you, I had the valuation pegged on that one when I watched him at Pinnacle. But um, saw his struggles and said, you know what? I got this guy, Caleb Williams. I, I believe in him. I, I think I, 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 I've seen something in him. We're going to go with him. And it, it, it would have been much easier, much easier just to ride with Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler was a guy people were talking about being a potential Heisman Trophy candidate preseason. So it wasn't like they pulled some stopgap quarterback to go put in Caleb Williams. Well, Caleb is just not ready yet. He's a five-star guy. We really like him. But we've got this senior quarterback that's there, and he's been in the program for three years, um, you know, whatever. You know, like, you know, we, we, we like this guy because he's an upperclassman and he's the safe pick. No, Spencer Rattler was, you know, a, a four-star, five-star guy in his own right and had a great freshman year the year before. And so you're like, t- it took a lot. It took a lot to be able to pull him and put Caleb Williams in there and ride with Caleb Williams uh, the rest of the season. Now, there was some some back and forth, some rotation there, but really 
I mean, I think it was just a matter of, you know, Caleb being a true freshman and not really knowing the offense to totally. But by the end of the year, he was the guy. And so, you know, him developing Caleb Williams as a freshman and then, you know, him transferring and, and his sophomore year being the, being a Heisman Trophy candidate, being the, maybe the best player in college football, period. Like, that's, that's the thing. You know, I mean, there's going to be some guys drafted and what have you. People are saying, you know, Caleb Williams might be the best player in college football right now. That's that's saying a lot, you know, that's saying that Lincoln Riley knows how to use that talent and knows how to showcase that talent. And that's, you know, the opportunity for that is what a lot of these top end recruits want. That's what they're looking for. And I know they didn't get DJ Lagway, the 2024 quarterback who committed to Florida over USC, you know, the week, you know, just days before the Heisman Trophy um, ceremony. But you know what? He's 2024. We'll see what happens with that. We'll we'll see what happens with Florida next year. There's there's a lot that can go on. You know, he could take a a sort of um, you know pool party visit to USC maybe in July, like uh, Malachi Nelson did to Texas A&M. And you never know. You never know what can happen with these type of things. But nevertheless, whether Lagway you know ends up at Florida or not, I, I still think down the road it's it's going to be a big impact uh, for for USC. And certainly uh, Lincoln Riley, as long as he's at USC, I just think that um, in terms of, you know, picking quarterbacks and receivers and, and even running backs to a large extent. I mean, I think offensively, they're going to be very good and they're, they're going to get guys they are going to identify key talent and they're going to be very good offensively. It's really a matter of, you know, that's going to overshadow the defense probably always, you know, when you have an offensive coach, your offense tends to always overshadow, you know, for, for to some extent. But, um, you know, definitely getting better defensively and just fundamentally on defense. And and um, it's it's a it's a it's a conversation in and of itself, you know, just talking about that, the sort of philosophy of those type of offenses and and whether, you know, the offense itself gives the defense a chance to be good and dominant. You know, we, we did see it in the, in, the, in, the, in the Oregon State game. You know, defense played really well. I liken this team a lot to sort of like the Chip Kelly Oregon teams different in terms of offense and how they get their production because Chip Kelly liked to run the ball more but it was a it was a game of possessions and winning possessions to get more possessions to get more points and the and the force the pressure on the opposing offense to have to try to catch up and that was really what what gave your defense you know an opportunity because it sort of all of a sudden you had a, two possessions and that other offense is going holy crap these guys are going to score 70 on us uh, we got to start throwing the ball. We, they get out of what they want to do. And that gives your defense, you know, ability to make some plays and get some turnovers. And that was really Chip Kelly's formula. It's still his formula. He's actually probably a little more conservative and actually, you know, defensively balance wise, they were a little better. UCLA was, even though they weren't as good as a team, quite frankly. I mean, we, we know that they, they, they were okay as a team. Uh, or I'd say, you know, this is probably one of the better UCLA teams in recent years. I talked about that you know, with Chip Kelly and, and all the flack he gets at UCLA. But when you look at that type of team that goes offensively so fast and they try, they're just trying to outscore you, um, that that's always going to kind of be tougher on the defense, you know, to be able to have a defense that can hold a, a, another team to only 14 points or 10 points a game when your offense is out there and they're scoring 40, 50 points a game. So that's that in and of itself is a little bit of, okay, they got to negotiate that. They got to figure that out because there's not a lot of teams that have been able to do that, right? Like, you know, even all the Chip Kelly teams, he's only had a couple of those teams get to the national championship, never won a national championship. 
and the teams in the college football playoff that you see are successful, eh, they, they tend to be a little more conservative. And, and when you get to those big games, it's about running the ball, stopping the run, and, and not turning the ball over, really. And so, you know, we'll see. Uh, the year two evolution of uh, the defense, certainly, but also the offense and, and whether, you know, the offense, they can do some things to help out the defense. All right. That was a perfect amount of time for me to finish my pepperoni and spinach sandwich. 40 minutes. So with, so with that, we are wrapping up another great edition of the Composite Two-Star Recruits. I'm Chris, that's Gerard, and we will catch you next time. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 